Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Vibrant. It is another Wednesday. They just keep happening. We've got an awesome show lined up tonight. Going to be speaking with my friend, Carrie Hummingbird. Carrie has been on Interverse before. I think it may have been way back at the beginning of 21 or 20. It's been a while for sure. And we caught up recently on her show, Soul Nectar, which I believe will be coming out very soon, maybe later this week. I'm not sure. It's already out. It's already out. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't realize that. Okay. So I'll make sure to uh, promote that and give everybody links to it. So very exciting. We had a good time. And of course, Gabriel, the slickest of dissidents, he's here, my right-hand man. I guess it's kind of my left hand. <laughs> the left-hand man. Uh, good to see everybody in the chat. What's up, PK? What's up, Gnostic Chef? Chef? What's up, Jenny G? <laughs> Uh, symbolic studies and we will be seeing gordy the owl master pretty soon i heard that he was just catching up on some dinner and yeah tonight the the goal of this conversation is to discuss carrie's brand new book inner medicine about connecting more fully with the earth and all of the dimensions available to us in this physical realm so um you know maybe it would be really cool to before we even introduce the book, because one of the main things I really want to discuss in depth in this talk, uh, you know, is, is in depth as we can get into, I guess, the the four directions and, you know, maybe some other directions, how we can utilize them in our our own personal work and, you know, getting connected in that wholeness. So, yeah, um, Carrie's going to lead us through a <laughs> four directions opening before we even talk to her about who she is and what she does. It's going to be great. Welcome, Carrie. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. And I spoke too soon. Actually, it comes out this Sunday, your episode. Anyway, I was thinking about, I was like, wait a second, is this Sunday? <laughs> I'm delirious with time. So time, <laughs> time does time not exist. Anyway? Time does not exist. It's a construct. So um, yeah, I'm going to open sacred space and I open sacred space to initiate us all in ceremony for this conversation through the ritual of opening sacred space. And then we kick off the magic and see what happens. And I'm really excited by it. We'll find out what happens. Okay. So I invite everyone to close your eyes and just tune inside and notice what you notice, feel what you feel. And let's, let's invite, let's invite my gang. Here we go. We welcome the winds of the South. Satcha mama. Wrap your coils of light around us. Teach us to shed our past like you shed your skin, one whole layer at a time. Ground us to Pachamama, to Mother Earth, feeling her beneath our feet, knowing that we're safe and held, that we're in the garden and that we never left it. Open our hearts so that we can love bigger. And we can be present with each other for this conversation. Wrap us up in your love so we really feel it in our bodies. Because we need proof. We need proof. So give it to us. Help us feel that love. We welcome you south. We welcome you west. Otorongo Jaguar. Protect this medicine space. Show us the way beyond fear, the way beyond death, the way over that rainbow bridge to where our dreams manifest. We welcome you west for wisdom and discernment. What should stay? What should go? 
How will I evolve? How will I grow? We welcome your wisdom, West, and help us to see that everything in our lives has been beautiful, even the things that hurt the most. And so we welcome you, West, for this perspective and this truth. Thank you, West. We welcome you, North, place of Siwa Kente, hummingbird, great royal hummingbird, who makes the epic journey that a tiny little bird could possibly make on a tiny little stomach with little wings. It's amazing. And you can teach us to be fearless as well. We don't know. We don't need to know where the next step is. We can be guided. Thank you for helping us step outside of time, dear hummingbird, into the dimensions of reality and connect with our soul self, that timeless one that's lived many, many lives. We welcome the ancestors of this life we're living now, the ancestors that live in our bones and in our teeth. We welcome your wisdom and all your guidance and support. We know that we're here because of the love that you had in your hearts and for your tenacity, your resiliency. And so we welcome this strength. And we welcome all the medicine people that guide my work. I'm so grateful to the Carol people from the High Andes Mountains, stretching back into the Himalayas. Humpwee. Help your Pampa Masayuk. Help your Alta Masayuk. Help your Shakaruna. Be with me now. And I welcome the Wisharaka, who I work with in Mexico. Beautiful. Also known as the Wichal. We welcome you to be with us, the ancestors. Teach us something new today. So grateful to have your presence. Thank you, North, for reminding us of who we are in truth and love. Way down in that divine spark in the center of us. Thank you, North. We welcome you east, eagle condor, flying so high in the sky with that big picture, but also able to see the tiny little details all the way down on the ground. Give us that ability to perceive such a broad way. We can really move around the matrix much more easily when we're fluid like that. And help us to trust the unknown, the mystery of life. Help us really embrace it. There's so much to know and see and discover as humanity lifts its consciousness beyond where it's ever been before. So we're all learning together. So East, we trust you to lead us into that mystery and leave some little breadcrumbs so we can find our way to our highest destiny in this lifetime. Thanks for guiding us. Welcome you. We welcome Mother Earth who lives in our very bodies. We are a piece of earth. And so we welcome you, Mother Earth, to remind us that you're with us all the time. We're made of you, so we never leave you. You're always with us, guiding us, giving us nudges, a little tweak here in the belly, a little tightening of the throat over here. You're letting us know all the time. So thank you, Mother, for staying with us. We welcome all the allies that you've given us for this life experience. We welcome the mountain spirits, all the rocks and the stones and the crystals. We welcome the plant medicines. So many plant medicines. I know people have been listening to this or working with the plants. We welcome the plants. We welcome all the animal allies. We welcome all of the beautiful birds. 
the jungles, the forests, the deserts, the beaches, all of life on earth and all the ocean life, the dolphins and the whales are a lot smarter than us. Let's invite them in too. And we welcome Mariposa and Dragonfly for rapid transformation. Maybe we could even transform during the space of this call. That would be so cool. So we welcome that, Mother Earth. Thank you so much. We welcome Father Sky, Father Sun, Grandmother Moon, and the Star Nations. Beam your lights down. All that beautiful ascended frequencies and light. Beam it. Fill up the space. Fill up our cells with that beautiful light. And help us to ascend our consciousness. We're heading for that rainbow body for Homo Luminous. Ooh, we can feel it coming. Help us fill up with those high vibes so we can really feel that transformation happening. And we're so grateful for all your help and all the ascended masters that are guiding all of this stuff going on on Earth right now. We welcome you. I welcome White Eagle, my Buffalo Calf Woman, Guadalupe. We're so grateful for your help. And we welcome the oneness, the universe, the creator, great spirit, all the names that represent the one thing going on here that we're all a part of, the we-ness, the allness. We welcome this recognition. And we come into a sacred space together for the beautiful conversation that's about to unfold. Really excited. Let's take a deep breath and come into harmony together. Shaking off the day. <laughs> Coming in together. Woohoo! Wow, Carrie, Perfect that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Man, that, how fun. I'm glad that I kind of came in afterwards because I I was I was stuffing my face. I'm finishing dinner, right? And I'm like, okay, I gotta tune in though. So and so it was nice for me to have to be able to do that kind of as an outside it, you know, as a listener, like how so how the rest of us like experience these things. And thank you for doing that, because this is like, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm owl guy. <laughs> and, oh, I love owl. You and I both love an owl right here. <laughs> OK. All right. So. Yeah, I and I just finished the uh, Jose Reese uh, Power Animals book. And so like, you're talking my oh. language, man, like this whole thank you chance for for bringing me in here, because this whole I I could you got to stop me. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Carrie. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Jose Stevens. He's actually one of my teachers. So oh, no joke. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've studied. I like. I went to the like smorgasbord of all shamanism. I've like studied with so many, so many beautiful teachers. And and just because it was a buffet, I was like, give me more. How do I get more of this? I just need to fill yeah. up my tank on this shamanism. I got to get connected with Mother Earth. And they called you, right? Oh, yes. I couldn't say no. It's a choiceless uh, choice. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> There's, yeah. What was your tipping point that made you like go over the edge? You're like, I'm all in. Like both feet. We're not going back now. 
You know, well, what what made me go on my journey into the mystery was, you know, a really dark night of the soul. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be here anymore. And I know a lot of people feel that way in the planet right now. So I want to speak to that if that's okay. I know we're like right into the conversation, like, let's go to the deepest, darkest place. But like, you know what? It's like, I, I had been doing all the right things, right? Like I had gone to psychotherapy for like two decades. I mean, I'd gone to psychotherapy for at least a decade before I even had kids. So I thought I could handle it. Right. And then. Oh my gosh, I did, had no clue what was about to happen. I had this, my child and I went into huge postpartum depression. And I, I was like, I was overwhelmed in my body with emotion and with depression, like just intense stuff. I didn't even know where it came from. And I was struggling to be a good mom, you know, and I had a great support network. I had great moms and stuff like that. And I went to psychotherapy and I started taking the pills because they said, hey, take these pills that'll make the feelings stop. Well, that sounds good, you know, Okay. But what happened was it another 13 years later, it wasn't better. You know, it was kind of still stuck, even though I'd been doing all the weekly sessions. I'm taking the pills. And I mean, I did break the rules. I had wine, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody does that. But (laughs) (laughs) but I I was like, I wasn't getting better. And I was I was not wanting to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And and I thought to myself and I was having nightmares, like really bad nightmares. I talk about one of the nightmares in the book, really terrible nightmare scared the heck out of me, you know, wake me up in the middle of the night with my heart racing and like sweating and everything. For real. For reals. And then I read this book, Eat, Pray, Love. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like another whole thing going on in the world. I didn't even know that was a spirituality. What? Like there's a connection. There's a, somebody listening. There's a God. And I went and tried it one night in my bathroom. My, my husband at the time was sleeping in bed and I went into the bathroom because I was so miserable and I just started praying. I was like, please, God, help me like now. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. And the tears stopped. I was like, what is that? So I started following that. I was curious. I was like, what, what can make that just stop? And so when I got the sign, like, get out of here. Like this, this chapter's done. Like you need to get out of here. This is not good for you. It's toxic. You need to get out of here. There's another thing waiting for you. You don't even know what it is. At that point, I was willing to do anything. And I think there's, there's two keys. You got to choose to live and you got to be willing to do anything. And if you do those two things, you're mm-hmm. going to get led. You know, so mm-hmm. that's what get me out of my yeah. circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. That's what got me out. And then within like six months, I, I met a yoga person. And within eight months, I started a shamanism program. And then from there, it was off to the races. I was like, give me more. Just like, fill me up. What else can I learn? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Toltec, the four agreements. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. I read that book 40 right. times, 40 yeah. times front to back. It's a little OCD. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm just in the stage where I'm really trying to feel it, like experience it, you know, like hands in the dirt and like spending as much time in nature as possible doing the whole, you know, putting the work in, you know, yeah, uh, doing the energy work outdoors where you're connected to the earth, you know, like it's, Absolutely. it's a thing. You got to do the work. Well, it's more than just like, I used to always take hikes in nature, right? Like I always love being outside better than inside, but it's doing it mindfully. It's, right? it's a difference. It's, it's a not difference. the same. as taking uh-huh. a hike. Right. Right. It's like it's there's a hike the- and then there's a ceremony hike connected with spirit is totally right. a different thing. Different things. Right. Exactly. We are on the same page, my friend. 
That's awesome. This is bitching. Yeah, I knew you guys. I knew you two would be best friends. I wanted to ask you something, Carrie. I know we're probably going to take like a, a weird path through your story and getting to okay. things in your book, but you mentioned the postpartum depression being so bad. One thing we talk about a lot, me and Gabriel especially, is the placenta part of what you deliver as a mother, you know, it's basically your baby's guardian angel. It's a twin, you know, it's the boat they, they come in on. (laughs) It's their savior in a way. And in our current culture that, uh, that is treated like medical biohazard waste. And in my opinion, the spirit that guards the baby that is, you know, an aspect of that placenta is probably traumatized and maybe needs to be worked with or at least acknowledged so that it can go back to a more benevolent type of guidance rather than, you know, a a codependent trauma relationship as many people do with their seem to have with their inner voice. And anyway, I was wondering if any of the many shamanic teachers in your Rolodex have spoken on uh, any traditions revolving around the placenta or connecting with it, honoring it, you know, what are some things that you may have learned about that? Because in my opinion, that may be a part of the postpartum depression is the, uh, like a lot of cultures will consume the placenta and that that brings nutrition to the mother that helps them through the, you know, it has everything in, in there that they need to uh, not <laughs> have as hard a time in the post-pregnancy phase. You know, that's really interesting what you're saying. And that's something I haven't actually had. This is the first time it's coming up. What I will say, I've realized through my own personal inquiry. And, you know, the last book I wrote was Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And, you know, that was a really deep, that was a really challenging three-year project, you know, um, with a lot of puking and internal work. So the the thing I realized through that work was that a couple of things. One thing, I was not initiated as a woman. So when I, when I first got my period, it was kind of like, uh, my mom was at work and I, I called her and she's like, okay, well, um, there's a pad in the, you know, in the bathroom. So just put that on. And I, okay. You're fine though. You're not going to die. And uh, it was like, so nonchalant. Like I love my mom. So I don't blame my mom at all, but her generation didn't know how to talk about this stuff. Like they didn't know how to initiate someone into womanhood. Like this is a big deal. And so that's one of the things we've healed in our family is that we, you know, we have one daughter and we, when she got that, we took her on a sweat lodge to initiate her as a woman, you know, so we need, people need initiations into different stages of their life. Otherwise they get stuck in those stages and they just, they hang out there forever. So we've got a lot of women in our culture that are maidens. They're like forever the maiden that needs to be rescued and not stepping into their full power as a mother which is a caretaker for another whole human being. It's a different role and it's a big role. It's huge. So that's one thing I was responding to is here I was a maiden and very comfortable in that role. And all of a sudden I had this big responsibility and I became a mother and without an initiation to being a mother besides the birth. And I did not have a a, a vaginal birth. I had a cesarean. So I was deprived of my body's like birthing experience And, you know, and that, that alone would have made me a mother, right? Of just going through that sort of like, um, that cathartic experience in my body would have initiated me in so many levels that I didn't get initiated. So I think 
those, that's a big area. And another big area, because my older son is a huge, huge, my, both of my sons are big, bright lights, right? But my, my older son is here to do medicine work. I mean, it's clear to me. He's here to follow a similar path. And so he came in as a big, huge light, right? With a lot of deep shadow stuff to explore. And when he came through me, all that shadow came through too. I was like, whoa, my gosh, what's going on? You know, like, who is this? Well, you know, cause, cause when you're coming as a soul and you have all that power, you're coming in through a woman's body. She's gonna, she's gonna, she can't help but feel it. It's all coming through her and it came through me. So like tremendous agape love I've never felt before, that kind of love. And then also just like all these deep shadows, which have been with us since he came. So like I'm still working through his journey and how to support him and honor and respect his journey, not like mother hen him, not hovercraft him and not also abandon him. So like it's this delicate balance of like, where do I stand as a mother of a son and how do I help him navigate that? So I would say that that's, those are the main reasons. I think it just like, it was like a massive, mastery course it just like got plumped into my belly and I went uh-oh <laughs> even though the decade of psychotherapy did not prepare me for this I'm not prepared and we don't have wise women like we don't have wise women's uh, circles anymore that hold new moms in the transformation we don't have those indigenous communities have the wise women circle and they explain things and they they now help the woman navigate the younger mother to navigate all this stuff. We we lost that. And most of us don't even live near our mothers or our grandmothers where they're far away because our family systems are all splintered because we're like the displaced people. You know, everybody here is displaced. So it is a very challenging thing to be a mother up until now in these times, for sure. I know that was a total rant. That was a lot. I'm glad we're starting off with the placenta chance. <laughs> going, Can't going help myself. Right, right into the good <laughs> stuff, man. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you, so you see you have two kiddos? I have two sons that are mine biologically, uh, uh-huh. 20, 23 and 20. And I have uh, two youngers that are like a freshman in, in high school. I'm, I'm remarried and uh, uh, almost in high school next year. He'll be in high school next year. So one girl, three boys is a houseful and we love them all. And yeah, it's, it's a great honor, you know, and I think I'm finally at the stage where it's an honor. I think Mm -hmm. when I started, I was like, what did I just do? (laughs) You know, like I love my son. It was no question. I ever loved him, but it was just like, I don't know if I'm prepared for this. Like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do motherhood. You know, um, do, do, do all of the kiddos know what, what was done with their placenta? Do they all have the story at least to keep with them? You know, I don't know the story of um, my husband's two children, uh-huh. my bonus kids. I know, but that actually came up. I will say it did come up because I lived in California and I'm 53 now. And so this was 20, how many years? 23 years ago, because I was 30 when I had my first child. And, you know, it was like what they talked about, though, was saving the umbilical cord. So they were all about saving the umbilical cord. Uh-huh. And uh, thank you. So um, <laughs> woohoo, it's working, all the shamanism. So, <laughs> and the plant medicine, woohoo. So, um, yeah, so I, I, um, I actually, I did save the first placenta for, I mean, not the placenta, but the umbilical cord for a little while. And then we moved across the country. And so all that just went, you know. 
in the franticness of the move, everything. I was not as conscious then as I am now, as you know, many people get more conscious when they have kids because the kids make you conscious. Yeah. They help mm-hmm. you with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a little homunculus mirror to give you uh, objectivity to look at yourself and go, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And what it's like, I, I, wish, I wish I would have known that I was projecting all my shadows onto yeah. everybody in my family. Like if I had known that then, yeah. I might have like oh. had a different experience. Oh, that's how you got that trauma. I gave that to you because they <laughs> gave it to me. You're like, oh, shit. Right. When does it stop? Do something about that. Right. You know, it, at least giving them the, a story. If they if they have a story, at least they have something that they can, you know, uh, pass on to their kiddos and maybe even improve on, you know. But there's uh, a funny thing about story, though. You want to be careful uh-huh. with story, Slick, you know. Yeah. Um, you know how those stories you tell at family gatherings? It's like, yeah, I well, call it family were- lore. Yeah. Uh-huh. You were, you were My dad always- has a lot of family lore that nobody else even has any idea that we think it's probably made up. <laughs> he make it all up? And he make, I think he makes up stories and then like he thinks they're real. Yeah. And uh, they become uh. part of, you know, I, I just wonder about that because I work with people's memories all the time in biofield tuning. And, you know, what's the effect of uh, a memory that is inaccurate or not true? It is it could potentially be the same effect as one that was real. You know, it still forms this geometry of your energy field around you that you're within. So, yeah. And uh, the family (laughs) generational trauma is such a huge part of working with the deeper reasons for people's issues. You know, we have uh, these karmic relationships that I know you talk about a lot. I see this frequently in tuning as well, that, uh, Maybe the the issue, you know, one thing that happens a lot is the issue will be revolving around the parents being too young and unprepared. And then, you know, you dig deeper into their, uh, the ancestral river of their energy. And it's like, oh, this maybe has been a pattern for a hundred years, 200 years, maybe more of too young, not ready, too young, not ready, too young, not ready, every single link in the chain. And it's, um, you know, it's exciting to be in a time where we have more access, more awareness, more tools so that we can break some of those cycles. And, you know, like so, some of my friends and that, that have children right now, I'm just amazed to imagine what they might be able to uh, achieve in life, not having held themselves back with uh, a lack of communication with their body, misunderstanding of the actual reasons why dissonance and symptoms occur none of it is on accident your body never goes haywire it's always giving you a message and then if a kid knew that what kind of what kind of super person would they be would they even really need to get hurt at all if they were able to talk to their body so directly and they didn't need sort of the the frying pan cartoon moment hitting the head type of deal <laughs> yeah it's tr- what you bring up is really true chance i mean we're at that pivot point, right? Where we're, and I think many of us know this and feel this or got messages about it in meditations or read books about it or listened to people about it. But like, we're at that point where we have a new level of consciousness opening up and, you know, it's like the opportunity is to step into a higher vibrational way of being. And for some people, that's just going to be moving out of like 
reptilian brain into limbic brain and starting to feel your emotions and open your heart. For some people, that's going to be the revolution. But for other people, it's going to be moving into this higher consciousness, sort of like the, you know, the upper realm, you know, and that Paul Selig talks about moving into that upper realm and really opening up that rainbow consciousness that the Buddha had. And that, you know, probably many of us were with the Buddha back then and experiencing that and going, how did he do that? You know, and then like lifetimes later, having this opportunity right now where that opportunity is planet wide. So like everybody is invited to this. And the more of us that, you know, sort of on our way of achieving that, the higher the frequency on the planet lifts because we're all connected, right? And so this is the time. Transcending the human drama. That was the last book I came on here with was the second wave, transcending the human drama, because we're transcending it collectively as a as a we. As in us, as in all that is, we're, we're transcending it. Everybody that does uh, get some, another level of consciousness helps everybody else. You know, so there's really rapid change right now. It's great. And it's chaotic, you know, so it can be a little turbulent and scary for some people that like things to stay the same. So that's kind of, <laughs> we're, we're not going to have the same family systems. It's all shifting. And we get to decide what that is, right? Yeah, more probably, you know, in the future, I wouldn't be surprised to see humanity take a a more tribal posture in a way, like in a positive way. Right. That worry is even loaded with the connotation of like primitive and savage tribal peoples. But what we're really, you know, I, I, I think all the time about how we are hammered about this idea of racism 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 don't do don't be a racist you <laughs> oh you don't want to take a experimental medical intervention injected into your body you must be a racist all that type of like everything the reason is you're a racist but that word race means family and you know there are differences between one family and another family and that we're all more the same than we are different sure but uh, if if I get called a racist for saying that there's differences between different groups of people and that those are good, they're cultural, they're genetic, they're biological, I I don't see how that is a superiority thing. It's a it's a that's the true strength. You know, the irony of sort of the cancel culture, in my opinion, is how uh, they're <laughs> they're all like pro diversity, but actually it's homogeny. You know what I mean? And that's part of what I think needs to be. Um, humanity in this current time is to sort of get out of finger pointing, get out of victim, the currency of victim consciousness and into strengthening our bonds with our actual community and the people that we know. And even in the, even to the point of being choosy and selective about, you know, who we're going to share space with because we resonate with who we resonate with for a reason. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't envy the people that are living in like 200 foot square foot pod homes and like thinking that that makes them good people because they're saving the planet when, you know, all of this doom and boogeyman and we're killing the earth. All that stuff is, is so fallacious in my opinion that um, the, the, the real key I think right now is to step out of every level of boogeyman and every level of victimhood and into radical decision-making and responsibility where, you know, we're, we're steering our own ships like that. Well, you know, what you're actually speaking to, interestingly enough, is already entering mainstream consciousness. So if you saw Avatar Way of the Water, then if you haven't seen that, it's, 
is already entering the consciousness. So in that movie at the, and I, oh gosh, can I really give it away? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Stop listening if you're going to see that movie and you haven't seen it yet. Spoiler alert. Okay. So at the end, so the thing about this guy, this family is that they keep running. Like the sky people are just really ignorant and stupid, like most of Western civilization and taking over the world and, you know, burning down the jungles and killing all the wonderful stuff just because for money and profit. Right. And so those are the sky people. And then so this family is like keeps running. They keep running from the sky people to protect his family. But at the end of this movie, he goes, I have to make a stand. I have to stand my ground. And this is a message. For all of us who have been conditioned by Western civilization, Western colonization, religious, you know, industrial colonization for generations is that we're done being displaced because we, we're not just going to displace ourselves onto the next planet. Okay. We have earth bodies. So nice try. We have earth bodies. We're made to live on earth. And so thinking you're going to escape all the stuff you created here by going to another planet is ridiculous. It's time to like stand your ground grow up, be a mature person, stop arguing over petty, stupid stuff, get connected with the earth because that'll help you with all that, you know, because when we get connected with Mother Earth, you're back in the mycelial network. Like, so lots of people taking mushrooms right now. Awesome. Because you get plugged back into the consciousness of the planet when you take mushrooms because those mushrooms, they know how to make mycelial network connections. Okay, that's what they do. They're the network connectors. So there's like taking your brain and going, by they're like the way, nature's IT guys. <laughs> you're no, part of a network. network. <laughs> you're part of an ecosystem. Hello over there. You're, you know, you're hurting yourself. And so like mushrooms just like, hey, dude, you need to get connected and you need to do a better job. So I remember the first, one of the first times I ever took them, I was standing in a river looking up at the trees <laughs> and uh, I got the memo of, Hey, you, you guys aren't the ones that are cultivating the trees. The trees made you. Exactly. <laughs> they're cultivating you. <laughs> all of life on this planet is cultivating humankind. Okay. They're all holding space for us. And you can tell because when your dog looks at you like, <sighs> you know, <laughs> you're being groomed. Okay. Like your dog is like, Open your heart, please. You know, come on. You need like, to play. More. We've been doing this for what come seven on. years. Come on, get over it. And so they'll look you right in the eye, too. Yeah, like, like, come on, <laughs> they even go like this. Yeah, you know, right. like this job is really hard. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful for them, little furry ascended masters. <laughs> They're Each here and every for us. one of them. The trees, everything is here. Try, Mother Earth is like, I'm trying to grow this new species. Mm-hmm. It, it's a new level. It has its own ability to say no. Let's try and see what happens when that happens. <laughs> and, you know, what happens is friction. And friction's not bad. It's just that, you know, at some point, um, the friction causes you um, to reach a certain set of circumstances whereby you are encouraged to become one again, <laughs> which is where we're at. You know, that's mm-hmm. where we're at. So time to time to become one and really listen up to the planet. And it's funny because we're all like having this conversation, right? And we could like, just, I could just shut up and you would say the next piece, like, because we're all connected, that's what happens. We don't have to like, plan ahead the conversation 
Do you guys remember the days when you had to plan ahead the conversation? Like where you had to like get on the same page like ahead of time because then you knew what was going to happen. And I remember that because I'm 53. So I remember being on the planet where you had to like script things out and kind of like, you know, be concerned that, you know, where's the conversation going to go? We don't have to do that anymore. That's done. I think I I do a little bit of both. It depends on the situation, you know, (laughs) depends on the goal. But um, my favorite, my favorite way to operate is moderately prepared with a lot of room for like completely willing to jettison all the preparation as well. Exactly. In the flow. Yeah. And it's just like, I was talking about this. I don't remember who I was talking to. I think it was with, uh, Isaac at the natural AF podcast. I don't think the episode's out yet, but about how, you know, one of the ways that we can work with these energies that people can get stuck in their field. And like the example would be anxiety. Really, really good example. People will hold a lot of this nervous tension energy. It actually tends to congregate a lot in the left ankle for some reason. (laughs) And the, exact same feeling in your body that is this anxiety is the same feeling as being excited under a different interpretation. So it's very damaging. Like, you know, what, what you uh, uh, opted to experience for the sake of being the teacher that you are today, going through psychiatric uh, therapies and the the so-called medicines, that's really the wrong word for it (laughs) though. And, you know, they, they give you these diagnoses and now people will, hashtag on Twitter, actually autistic, or I have anxiety and like, it's a badge of honor. It's this victim currency, but the body, it doesn't interpret energy. It just has a spectrum of different energies, the way that there are a spectrum of colors. And one of them is this energy that some people label anxiety and others label as excitement. So part of working with the energies of your body, in my opinion, is to understand the polarities of interpretations of things so that you can convert what would have been stuck sadness into joy or convert uh, what would have been explosive anger into healthy assertiveness. And with the the one called anxiety, you know, for me, whenever I start, (laughs) sometimes the reason I prepare for shows more than others is because I'll get this overwhelming feeling of I really want to do a good job. I hope I do a good job. I really want to do a good job. And some people, and it's like an energy that's building up, right? And some people would interpret that as like, I'm nervous. I got jitters. I got stage fright. But what, what I think really works is to take that energy. If you know that you have this sort of building up of, I really want to do a good job. Hope I do a good job. That is your body saying, here's a free gift of energy that you can use towards preparing for the show and <laughs> preparing for whatever the thing is. You know, that's actually why those thoughts or those feelings are coming up. It's a fuel and you're being guided to harness it so that the thing that you're intending can come through in the way that you intend it. But if you just get hot, caught up on like, oh, I feel weird, man, or I, I got the jitters, then, you know, then you go into the thing with a lack of confidence because you didn't harness what you were being given. And then a lot of that energy gets stuck in your field and starts to build up and cause pressure that leads to other types of problems later down the line. If it's continually being uh, generated, but not, it doesn't flow through you. It's just kind of caught up in you and that's stagnant chi and that leads to injuries that leads to all type of things. I actually had that, you know, because uh, I was very conflict avoidant 
for most of my life. I didn't like conflict. And so I, and I was a pleaser. So I like to please people and, and just kind of like, if I didn't want to do it, I just kind of like to say something vague and then I'd go off and just do what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, like kind of like that, just kind of avoid the actual conversation. And so basically 20 years in a marriage that was, you know, had a lot of karma to it that needed resolving. It was our lesson plan and I didn't want to engage it. And then I was taking the pills, right? And I was overwhelmed by emotion. So like that was the whole empathy thing was opening up for me. And I think a lot of people are having that open up right now, by the way. Like I think tons of people have an empathy open up and it's a big deal when it opens up because you can't flatline your existence anymore. It's like this, it's like, woo, you know, I mean, there's a roller coaster. You got to learn how to hold it all at the same time. But I didn't want to have conflict because it caused me discomfort. Like you were talking about anxiety. So I would take the pills to not feel that and put me kind of behind a wall so I didn't have to feel my feelings. And after doing that for 13 years, the, the year that I left um, that marriage, within six months, I couldn't bend over in yoga class. And I was like, why can't I bend over? Like, that's weird. And I went into the doctor and she's like, you have a grapefruit sized cyst on your ovary in your womb. Like it has to come out. And you die. You're lucky that we caught it. And I called that my marriage, sis, because I wouldn't have arguments. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have those conversations. I would just kind of be really angry and then stuff it and then go off and just complain in my psychotherapy session and, you know, or anybody else that would listen to me. And, but I wouldn't actually talk about it with that person. So you know, relational skills are part of what this new era is about that we're entering and we've been entering since like the first wave came through in the 60s. It's relational skills. We're learning how to relate to all the aspects of ourselves, to each other in a different way, and to the planet. So we have a lot of relational skills, our bodies, and that we're learning right now. And it's a little messy and clumsy because we're just learning how to do it. So no big deal, right? Slick. I can't. I can't let it slide. The word "cyst" is uh is a. Uh, it actually relates to the placenta. Does it really? The word "cyst" it means a basket. The basket is the placenta. It's the basket that no that Noah is brought down the river in his basket. That's the in and then Noah has to solve the riddle of who Moses were his. Min- oh, thank you, thank you, Moses. I mean, it's like you know. Astrotheologically, it's the same guy. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're right. It's Moses is who I meant. And so he has to use the fabric of his basket to discern who his true ancestors are. Oh, and so that is profound. Ancestry and the Sesta KV uh, is all your family. And then another, everything comes back to the placenta for me. So I'm just going to throw it all on the table really quickly. but. Even the word birth is an anagram for your tribe. B-I-R-T-H-T-H-R-I-B. Wow, that's crazy awesome. Your birth and your tribe. It's all the same thing. So even the, uh, the letter H is interchangeable philologically with the E. Like in Greek, the, the letter eta is either E or H. So yeah, birth and tribe, 100%, an anagram. Nice one. Yeah, so it's really fascinating that you're carrying around a, a scar in specifically in the exact place, in the exact location. 
and you're talking about your, you know, these are the terms of your, of your life plan of, and that you're working through the residual energies uh, from the, the things you had planned, the things, and that's contract. When there's contractions, you're trying to bend over and you're having a hard time with the bending over all of these things. It's so fascinating how the language of law transposes into the metaphysical realm. That and, is fascinating. And, and it just, it never ceases to amaze me how, uh, uh, like Chance was saying, so often we find things that relate back to the placenta, like the race equals the family, the cyst, even a, the word cyst is looked at like, oh, it's a horrible, terrible thing. Oh, it must be bad. Well, the placenta is nothing beautiful to look at. You know, it it turns a lot of people's stomach to just talk about it. And so there is like a natural recoiling from looking head on and addressing the issues uh, that that so many people just get squeamish about. That's why we love to just talk about it right out the gates. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's actually really necessary because one of the things that's coming up in my circles with women is the disconnection from our bodies. You know, the disconnection, the disembodiment, actually, that we've had, because honestly, being a woman on the planet right now and for the last few generations has been pretty tough because it's we're waking up, we're becoming more conscious. And in the process of that, everything that's in our ancestral DNA that we're now changing, right, because we're not going to have we're transcending the human drama. So we're changing a lot of these paradigms of conflict and reaction. And the disempowerment and the the denigration of the feminine energy in the body is really hard to cope with, right? There's a lot of really terrible feelings that come up when, especially when the ancestry gets invoked in your bones and in your DNA. And when you become a mom, like that obviously happens, you know, because your ancestry is getting invoked because you're having this like initiation. That is hard to feel. And so a lot of women dissociate from their bodies. I mean, it probably dissociated from the time they're little because of various other traumas, right? That happen when they're little, that shouldn't be happening. So, and the whole country, the whole culture kind of encourages us to disassociate from our bodies. So, you know, this is me at 53 talking, you know, younger generations today might go, well, it's not so much happening like that, but in my day it did. And so, you know, this is important that you're talking about this because a lot of women are like, even coming to the point of questioning Like, should a 15-year-old girl or a 13 or 14-year-old girl, her first experience of somebody down there in her, in her private area, be a gynecologist that she doesn't even know with a speculum stuck up there? That is just so wrong on so many levels. It's a violation. Very rapey. It's very rapey, right? But they say it's good for you. Right. I'll your health. I'll just speak up for the men too. There's the same thing with, you know, checking the, checking their balls for, for, is that, a, I mean, I, what are they even checking for? And is it even prone that children would even have it? I forget. Is it prostate or? Prostate. What are they, I yeah. remember it's all coming back to me now. Oh, I no. remember that as a teenager having to drop my pants and like some strange person cupping my scrotum. Yes. Like, and that's, what purpose did that serve? I would know if something was wrong and I could tell them at that point. But yeah. the whole thing is a big training set of training rituals from very young age all the way up to, you know, and it continues on until you get your first colonoscopy as an older person. Right. The training right. being that 
you don't know anything about your body. You need to go to the magical priest in the white coat. They they know, and right. you don't have to worry about operating the body properly. It's just like a vehicle that you take it into the shop for the repairs when it gets broke down, and you know let the let the mechanics take care of it. That is such a good analogy, Chance. Whoa, but you know, and that's external medicine. That's why my book is called Inner Medicine. Nice. Right? Nice. Because I was that person that like, anytime I need to make a decision, I mean, it's just about intuition. And they don't even buy you dinner. <laughs> it's true. They don't. Every single time <clears throat> that I had to make a decision, I would go ask everybody else what they thought. Literally. I couldn't just make a decision, you know? And, and in the, in the conversation of diversity, this is called white fragility, right? But it's like the, I think, I don't know if this is totally unique to white women only, but like there is like this experience where it's like, you're just supposed to be pretty and pleasing. That's your whole job. Just be pretty and pleasing. And just like, that's it. And, and don't ask for anything else. <laughs> you know, go out with your girlfriends if you need to, to talk about whatever you need to talk about, but don't bring, you know, just kind of be pretty and pleasing, be a nice arm piece. And I fell for that. And I was educated. I was educated. My mom was really super feminist. And I went to Smith, which is a really good college for women. And I was educated. And I put myself in that. And when I woke up, you know, 20 years into that, I was like, so angry. Like, what did I just do? Like, and I blamed it on him at first, right? Because it was all his fault. Because I was on the victim rescuer perpetrator triangle. But after I started getting into my healing, I was like, wait a second. I did that. I'm the one who did that to me. And then I was really mad at me for a long time for doing that to me. You know, I was, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about it today. You know, um, uh, my father is a, a nurse anesthetist, an anesthesiologist, but with only with less schooling. Uh, and uh, when, when we were pregnant, he told my baby's mama months before her due date, he told her, you're going to have a C-section. And she didn't want to. And they had an argument way before the event. And she was pissed that he just, she, he knew that she wanted to do it natural. And, yeah. she, and he also knew that they have procedures in place so that the doctor doesn't have to stay up all night. And they can slip this little medicine in to or to in, to instigate an urgency to put you in emergency, so that they can extract that baby on schedule, and the doctor can make it to tea time when he goes golfing with his buddies in the morning. And uh, I think they call it. Is it? I forget. I always screw up the name of this medicine. It's saying it? it's right induction, right? The induction process and the word induction. That is an occult term. To be inducted is to be initiated. Yes. Induction is an, a ritual initiation. And so, again, I love how the language just runs right parallel. People love to be so sciencey about it. But the word initiation, the word ritual in science, that's just a procedure. They call it procedure. But that's a ritual. It's the same thing. It's like, what are you more? It just depends on which language you're comfortable with. But we're saying the same thing. 
It's a, it's a, it, yeah, it's a ritual. Webster's 1828 it, Dictionary induction. Yeah. The introduction of a clergyman into a benefice or giving possession of an ecclesiastical living or the introduction of a person into an office by the usual forms and ceremonies. Wow. <laughs> There's more to that definition, but yeah. That, and then that gets into the occult aspect of, of law that this whole, that the, uh, the whole citizenship <laughs> situation in the birth certificate are a, oh. actually a black, a type of black magic that uh, gives you uh, an, a, a literal misidentification of who you are with a, a straw man identity Right, an external identity on paper in the paper C, rather than your inner self being, you know, your divine spark being your identity. Right? It's a. And I like amazing. I I also I like to point out that it's we're the matematikoi, and the matematikoi and the Pythagorean cults they're the outer circle, and they get all these fancy mathematical tricks to think that they're learning something remarkable and that they have something. they have a sense of accomplishment because they're mathematically perfecting. Um, but that's the outer circle. Uh, in the inner circle is where the really weird superstitions take place. And those are, I think, called the akusmatikoi, or the inner circle. And so, uh, so uh, when you're inducted to the birth certificate, you are believing, living by numbers. You believe you live by these numbers and then the numbers dictate the reality of the realm. And it's all on the private side where on the back of your birth certificate, if you flip it around, it literally looks like the green number and code from the matrix. You know how the codes are running horizontally or no vertically. They're running vertically in the matrix. That is the back of a birth certificate. It is. It is. And you're living by number. You believe wow. in the number. That, yeah, we're all in like this weird in, initiated priest class, but they don't tell us directly. We have to, you know, go through all these silly ciphers and watch all these silly movies to find out, you know, that it's been disclosed to us. We've been put on notice. That's fascinating. Well, the only point I was going to make, because you guys are talking about some stuff. I was like, wow, my mind just got opened. The thing I was going to say is that the cesarean operation, right? The way that it's so widely used now, it's become another tool for telling women you can't trust your own body's natural processes. And you need to be dependent on this industry to get your needs met. It's You know, and this is just, I'm sure you guys could mention like a thousand places where that's true, but it's like a woman who is actually going to trust her body to do the, to, to have birth, right? To go through the initiation that life gives her to become a mother. I had many friends who did that home birth with, with um, the bathtub and everything and had the doula and had their baby. And I was jealous because I wasn't able to do that. I had my own reasons why I wasn't able to, to do it. But I wanted to. And and that initiation is powerful. It's a very power. It puts you in your in your hips. It puts a woman down in her hips. And when you're down in your hips, you're in your you're like in your power. You're in your the bowl of your ancestry. Right. Like you're anchored down at your tailbone in your hips. And you're and just like you're an earth mama, you know, at that point. 
And, and so I've spent the rest of my life getting into my hips, you know, and it's taken me, um, my spiritual path, you know, the last, um, 10, 12 years to get down into my hips and, and which is the journey from the maiden into the mother, you know, and now I'm making a journey into the, you know, I, I would like to say autumn, you know, <laughs> I'm going into autumn now. I'm not quite grandmother. I'm not quite, you know, crone, but I'm heading into like autumn and I like the way that sounds. So uh, I'll use that instead of Chrome because, because why? Because we're so like age conscious as women in the Western society, we don't want to be old. And I think most of our society doesn't want to be old. There's like a stigma against being elderly and old. And we take all of our old people and we shove them in homes because we don't want to deal with that because we don't have any way to like lead our busy lives and do everything for ourselves without these people that need help. What happened that with that is we don't have the elder wisdom. <laughs> we don't, we don't have a fat, a fabric of community. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And that really is something to admire about the Eastern cultures is how much, I mean, even their language is, uh, acknowledges the elder, you know, you don't even speak the sentences in the same s- structure. If you're talking to somebody who's older than you. Exactly. But our Western culture is all about displacement. So, you know, like, just consider, I thought about this a lot, because I was like, nature doesn't make mistakes. So, you know, I really trust nature's impulse, and wisdom and synchronicity. And, and I believe that when we as humans take an action, it's because our body is inspiring us in some way, like we have this inner feeling or like we follow that or a thought comes in and and we feel passionate about it enough to do it like just think about the energy it takes you know to just do something think about the energy it took ancestors of this that live on this country now to travel across the whole ocean to live in a completely different continent never to see their family again never to see their homelands again whoa like what would inspire people to do that it's a lot, right? So there's a purpose to it. Gordy, you got something to say? Oh, no, I just, I love that because it, it always reminds me of the Polynesian myths, you know, and like the, the Polynesian shamans, the kahunas and, and that kind of thing. Um, I got turned on to this uh, Children of the Rainbow book ah, yeah. many, many years ago. And I didn't realize, I, I, and I looked at it years ago. I'd never really like paid attention until it like really called, you know? So, um, I was going through that and I remember like, if you've ever seen it, there's, they have these, uh, the, the Polynesian shaman have like these expressions of God and they are, they look like just a pattern. And it's kind of what the original Hawaiian shirt kind of thing patterns came from, right? But these expressions of God, when you look at all the different ones, you can kind of see the a pattern where it like turns into a cymatic, right? And there, and you can see them, and you're like, "Holy shit!" I'm looking at at cymatics, and so you like start looking through cymatic books and you're like finding the exact same shapes i'm like this is creation this is god like and then all the hermetic stuff comes rushing back and you're like holy shit we're all just hermetics like all the seven rules just all fit yeah it's you know i think that 
what's most interesting is the commonalities between right. so many ancient traditions. And they might just like, Chance is great at this. You talked about this on my podcast about like the different words, like even the words for mother, like so similar across all the cultures, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think about Mother Earth saying, inspiring whole groups of people to do this whole religious colonization, take your stuff and, you know, all of this that happened. And it's terrible what happened on this continent. I want to say like, it's awful. You know, it's like, I have, so, I have an, some ancestors who participated directly in enslaving other people like that live in my, that are in my ancestors. We found out are in my ancestral line. And so it's horrible, you know, to think about that. And it's like taking all of these people from their various lands and just placing everybody on the same continent together. Everybody's displaced, even the native people, because they all got displaced too. That's really interesting, actually. Why did everybody get displaced on the same continent together? Right? Yeah. I, I honestly think that it's because of the need to preserve mosaic history for the authority of the church and the monarchies that derived authority from the Vatican at those times, you know, like the, when the Spaniards came to the Americas, they specifically and expressly forbade anyone who had any learning of letters to come over there until they had finished burning stuff down. <laughs> you know, if you were going to be a, like a, a friar or uh, anybody that could read or write and you were going to come over, they, did it, they interviewed people to make sure they would be uh, cool to come over? Because I think the the traditions that the natives had were too similar to the uh, mystery traditions of Europe and the ones that you know Christianity was sort of a uh, <laughs> a knockoff from, to say it politely. Yeah, but that, you know, that's still that speaking. Like mystic Christianity is great. That can go past the need yeah. for. Um, you know, dogmatic, singular interpretations and, and historicity. But like, you know, the Mexican people, for example, the, the land, they were calling that land Meso, not Mexi. It was Meso, like sounds like Mesopotamia. <laughs> and that root MS, MSE or Messi, that's this, that's literally the same root, you know, as Hebrew didn't have vowels originally in the first place as Moses, which means Messiah. MSE, MSH, depending on, you know, how you, how you transliterate it. So uh, they had uh, stories from the Pentateuch, supposedly, which is the, the, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had a version of Noah, who he was the creator of wine. He, he had, you know, people thought in the, in the Americas thought they were either descended from Noah's good son or his bad son. His name to them was like uh, Cox Cox, actually, but. I could go on and on about this because I think that it was uh, maybe all that displacement was a necessary component to keep up the pretenses that allowed for those who had authority to remain in authority. Because if you pull the rug out from under all that sort of historical mosaic narrative, then all why are the people who are in charge in charge then? <laughs> you know, if if none of that stuff is literally true as it's been as it had been presented. And, you know, and now we've gone, we've progressed so far past that point that it doesn't matter anymore. 
the uh, <laughs> the illusion of the separation between state and religion has, you know, that particular magic trick has been done in complete totality where now the, like literally the magic of authority in, as it is invested in government is so mystical and believed in without any hesitation in a religious way to the point where most people are blind to their entire notion of authority and never even quite like think about it at all. At least in the, in the past, <laughs> the reason for the authority was sort of expressly given as we descended from this hero or we descended from, you know, this tribe of Israel or, or yada, yada. But yeah, we're in a strange place now where the cult of the state is secularized in the sense that all trappings of spirituality are seemingly removed from it. Although under the surface, you know, the devil in the details, it's very spiritual system, especially things around citizenship and the bringing in of a new life into the world and birth, as Gabriel has been alluding to in this conversation. It's a very, very deep study. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I'd like to bring a different, another perspective maybe, which is that there's some really interesting step along the path of evolution to bring diverse people together from different cultures into one space all together. Because what happens is in the gene keys is the shadow of reaction. And the shadow of reaction is what happens when we um, find meet somebody different than us or that doesn't agree with us. And then we fight, right? Like we just immediately just react. It's like chemistry. <laughs> it's chemistry. And it actually does have to do kind of like that, because if you think about every ancestral line is a fractal, like um, from the big bang or whatever. And like all these ancestral lines are fractals. When different fractals come together, it actually causes a tremendous friction. Mm -hmm. And the friction that happens, and this is what happens in karmic relationships. You, you get with somebody whose fractal line is like really opposite of yours, like total opposites attract kind of thing. And then the fractal starts to like come together and it's tremendous friction as those things are merged. And the friction is actually, um, clearing both fractal lines of disturbance. So it generates it, energy too. You know, it generates energy, energy, but it, it clears um, distortion from both fractal lines when they meet like that. And then that leads to harmony on the planet eventually. Right. So just think America, like it's very tense. It, it can be very tense in this country, but I was alive. I've been alive 53 years now. So I remember how it was, you know, early on. And it's, it's actually more, mostly more amenable now. Like most people are kind of, we're able to talk about some really hot topic stuff together and we can actually have that, that conversation now, or we can never have that conversation before. And I think it's because of this merging and these, you know, these fractal lines coming together and the friction and it's clearing all the air of all these um, past ancestral experiences. And, and there's like in the, in each fractal, if you take gene keys, they're actually, you'll see repeating themes across generations. So like this fractal may be dealing with stillness, but like it starts with like stress. This other fractal is dealing with judgment, you know, and there, and that leads to, to integrity and perfection. This other, and so the, when they're dealing with opposite things, they're coming together like, you know, like it's really like a, it's, it's, it's angsty. 
And then as you come together, you're trying to make a marriage work, let's say, or you're trying to make a community work, or you're like have Congress, you know, <laughs> any one of that, and trying to come to an agreement. It's like those forces are just like, mm, you are not agreeing with me, right? That's kind of like helping everything be um, cleansed, actually. To create true, like, true unity. I always <laughs> like to point out the term, the, the, the American experiment. That's the T, the American, A, X, the American X <laughs> well, the, you might be the X may be just X American. That, that may be like how we end up changing our our USA to USX or something. Right. It, yep. I, I wonder about how this because we see it changing. Like clearly this the empire has fallen already. They don't yeah. they just don't know. I haven't. Yes. And that's what realized it yet. That's what X means. X means change. Mm -hmm. It's it's the mutable symbol. Yeah, man. Yeah. Mutation. Transmutation, man. The X-Men. It's definitely getting pretty trans up in here. (laughs) (laughs) We get past that, too. We get past that. Yeah, because that that challenges all the religious, you know, um, stereotypes, right? It, It challenges all the stereotypes that everybody's put into a little box. Like you can only be like this. And if you're like this, you're shameful. And if you're like this, you're, you're, you know, celebrated. You're and actually, though, in, a, in an interesting way, also reflects a lot of the ancient mystery cults in how, like, to learn the practices of magic or divination, you had to cross over to the other side of, you know, the gender boundaries. It, it's throughout mm-hmm. many cultures, like an example would be Odin. In the Voluspa, learning the feminine magic from the the vulva diviner priestess, and having to put on women's clothing, or uh, Bacchus and the <laughs> and his bacantes, the uh, the revelers of Bacchus would do a lot of that sort of transgressive taking on of the other genders role as well. It's uh, it's been a part of it's definitely been a part of um, initiatory systems for a long time. You know, and I don't mind what anybody wants to identify as. I just don't like uh, it, it hurts me to see people hurt their body and feel uncomfortable in their body enough to do physical lasting damage to it. That's really where I'm at with it. Well, this you is know? go ahead. No, after you. I think this is part of the, um, you know, in the Andes, they talk about and in, in, in um, the Himalayas as well. They talk about the middle way. Right. So we want to walk the middle way. Because that's the balance place because we live in a polarity. So everything's polarized. But what we're seeing now is like we're moving from black and white to gray or what I could just say rainbow spectrum. So we're moving out of like you have to be a man or you have to be a woman. And to, well, there's a whole range of expression that you could actually have. And I don't have all the science on this, but I, uh, one of my friends posted on Facebook who is a scientist in this regard, like, um, sexual scientist, I guess. I don't know. Gene therapy, gene scientist. And she was saying that there's actually like many different markers to determine someone's, um, gender sexuality and then how it's going to express for them as a personality. Like there's actually personality gender 
there's, and it's all mixed in. So there's, uh, what I want to say is we're moving out of conformity or we're moving out of, um, duality in terms of like, if you don't agree with me, then you, you're out and you're the opposite. You're the, you're the other into, oh, there's like, um, 8 billion perspectives on the planet and, um, we're not really going to like align with anybody 100% and that's okay. And this gets to the diversity conversation we were talking about earlier. It's like nature loves diversity. It's clear nature thrives with diversity. So what we've done and what's happened up until now is that everything has gotten clamped down into these tighter and tighter, like polarized boxes. Like you're either, you know, you're either Christian or you're not Christian. You know, there's like that one going on. on and I would live in Texas, so I hear that all the time. Um, so what about the tension of having those structures in place builds the friction for everything to bust loose to be the authentic expression underneath? So we always need that grit for the pearl. We need that, like, that tension, that, like, pressure, you know, to, like, stop telling me what gender I am, you know, like this. And then, and then it's, like, busting apart all the systems. Stop controlling me, all the domination and control. It plays a part in the busting free of the divine feminine, which is the diversity. The divine feminine is the fluidity. It's the, it's chaos. It's chaos. You know, (laughs) it's the mystery. It's like, well, just go and see what happens. Run an experiment. You know, it's like very free and fluid and mutable and changing and like never going to be the same. And, and that's what the patriarchy. Uh, I think we just call it the down. Oh, if the moon shows up in the sky wherever she wants, you know, and, and we're, and she has different phases, you know, the sun goes, you know, very predictable sunlight. Thank you. Sunlight. We need sun. But the moon is like that mm-hmm. part of life. That's like this. It's like dancing, playing. Where am I going to show up next? That makes it interesting. Now, if you just alive. stare at the moon, especially a full moon, it looks like it's wiggling around up there. You know, it does. If, I've seen if it you smile really, and like, zone into it and look at it. It does look like it's kind of moving. I've had that experience a bunch of times, you know, and on this subject, what I, what I hope to see for humanity is that these sort of questioning of uh, authority gets directed to a more proper place. Whereas instead of questioning, you know, the authority of nature for putting you in a certain body with certain equipment, look at the within rather than the external. You know, I think a big part of what's gone on in in culture right now has been the externalization of what is more appropriately an inner process, which is, as you're uh, talking about that spectrum of possible expressions that internally, we, whatever gender you are physically, internally, you have both components of masculinity and femininity. And, you know, to be, uh, to operate in that middle way, you need to be able to apply both sides you know, and open yourself up, left brain, right brain, left side, right side, you know, all the, all of that. I think, again, back to the topic of inner medicine, I just hope to see that maybe um, the result of some of the uh, gender stuff that gender dysphoria going on so much in the country currently is that people, rather than being uh, resentful of the body that they're in, they open up to 
accept their own body, but that they have the freedom to express themselves in that body in any way possible without, you know, that they're not going to find wholeness by removing parts of their body. They're going to find wholeness by being fully in touch with every aspect of the body. You know what I mean? Well, I do hear what you're saying, Chance, but also I just know that in my own self, what I realized is that there's 8 billion right ways. You know, it's like everybody has a unique thumbprint for a reason. That's because the journey takes us individually from point to point to learn things. Like, for example, I'm going to take it out of, out of this conversation into a different one. So for many of us, we got led to the, this whole kind of stuff that we're talking about here because we started off learning about the law of attraction. And we're like, this is cool. I can manifest what I want. How do I do that? You know, we got intrigued. We're like, tell me how to help me how to make that possible. How do I manifest what I want to come into being? Right. And we got we got all hooked into that. And that was stage one of the truth. Like kind of sort of it works that way for a little while while you get interested in your spirit, <laughs> you know, in your soul. And then at some point it stops working exactly that way. <laughs> You know, and there's like more nuances. There's more like ripples to the information. There's more realizations. It changes. It morphs. And it brings you to a new understanding where you couldn't actually get to the new understanding without having gone to the first step. So we're always getting led right to the next piece. And so I think this gender dysphoria is actually leading us to a really important realization. And I would say it's buried in the gene key of reaction, because that leads to revolution and the revolution leads to rebirth. That's the whole sequence of that gene key. And the rebirth is rebirth of human consciousness, which is going to heal the first um, wound of separation, which is the genders. It's going to heal. It's going to heal. Actually, the first one you could arguably say is like spirit and human, right? Like divine human as separated. We're healing that. We're coming together, right? Three strands, DNA, coming together. Divine strand joining the 2D. Now it's like we're healing the gender conflict and no more reaction about gender. Then it's going to be no more reaction about what color your skin is. Then it's going to be no more reaction about what your religion is. Then it's going to be no more, like all the ways that we separate is going to start coming into this. Oh, because All of that individuals found themselves because it is an inner medicine job. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can validate you in right. your choices. All we can do is be self-referencing. We can join communities like this and have conversations. It's super helpful to see other people going through similar things. A lot of times we can come along same fractal lines and like work together to heal some stuff or like maybe like a bunch of people going through like gender you know, they don't really like their gender, having a group together and working through that. That's, you know, that's something that's hugely beneficial. But ultimately, every person has to get in touch with that unique thumbprint, you know, because that's yours. Nobody else has that one. You got to figure out your puzzle yourself. You know, uh, Gabe and I have talked about this uh, chance. <clears throat> We've come through this over and over again. These things, these ideas come up like the the two pillars, but we're supposed to figure out what's on the third pillar. Like you're supposed to give ourselves into that liminal space, right? 
And when, and I'm so glad you brought up the, the fractalinear makeup too, Mm -hmm. because I've been trying to articulate this idea and maybe this will help me to like, when you're in that liminal space, the, you're not the material, you're not the spiritual. When you're in the, that liminal space where you kind of see, you peek through <laughs> the veil, you know, and like the whole, you, you, it's almost like seeing the universe from outside of itself. Everything's fractalinear. And this is how you can heal a lot of those traumas when you see, like when I saw my dad and my grandfather and his father, I'm like, oh, <laughs> Right. It was like, and it just like a wave, you know, when you can get that objectivity, it's like true objectivity. Then you find out who you are. All that other shit, gender shit doesn't matter. It's not going to matter because you know who you are. You know who you are. And I love that you brought those fractalinear patterns because when you were giving us that, you know, that visual, the thing is, how many times around the spiral does it take Hmm. to to heal a pattern. Like any pattern you want to actually heal and transform in yourself, you always go through this like spiral pattern where you go out and out and out and you look down and you try another way. And mm-hmm. what I realized was that when you were doing the fractal thing, I was like, wait a second, that's, that's like the, that's the seven generations in the ancestry. So like this question or this inquiry gets started through some experience or something that some ancestor has. And then all of a sudden that whole thing goes seven times, you know, like seven mm-hmm. generations through the great spiral until it's finally resolved. You know, it's like, what? I mean, it's like, so be careful what questions you ask, I guess. Is this is what it makes me think of, Gordy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. The trip, yeah, the fractal. Exactly. It just keeps keeps going. And once you get past one thing, there's going to be another thing behind that. And this is how we keep going. Hey, can yeah, I well, ask you? I'm sorry. Here. Go ahead. So were you called by a warrior spirit? Is that why you're a hummingbird? Oh, well, that's a cool question. Actually, I just started, I did my first shamanic training for six months and I, I realized I could buy a house and I bought a house. I, I was looking to buy a house and I was buying this house I'm in right now, except that it had been under contract and they'd gone back and forth already like five times. So my real estate agent was like, nobody ever quits after that. Like they're going to close. And I'm like, no, that's my house. So I did a drum journey and I started like visualizing myself in the house, law of attraction. You know, I was playing around with that and I started visualizing myself in the house and I was like, this is my house. And I, my, my deceased grandmother came to the house and was like, I love all of this. This is so great. I'm so glad you're up this house. And, and it was real, you know, I was, but I was making it up. And then all of a sudden at the end of the journey, I did not make this happen. This is why I was so awe-inspiring. I'm in the vision in this house, in the kitchen, just in my mind, having my journey. And I look out the kitchen window and this this rainbow light comes up with this hummingbird and it hangs there. I was like, wow. It was one of those moments. Wow. I didn't make that happen. And then the phone rang. Hello? It was my real estate agent. The deal fell through. How much are you offering? Whatever they want. <laughs> wow. 
so I started calling myself Carrie Hummingbird at Drum Journey, you know, and then pretty soon I changed LinkedIn. Well, that that kind of threw my um, my Silicon Valley um, <laughs> crew for a loop because I had been in technology for what, 20 years doing high tech stuff. And they were like, what is she doing? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> She's lost her mind finally. But no, I was just being real. Like to me, that was my name. I mean, as a woman, you're always given somebody else's name. And for the first time, I got a name that was mine, that was given to me by spirit, by source, Carrie Hummingbird. I was like, damn, gonna do that. And, I, mm-hmm. and so I became that. Uh, and my license says it too. My, my married, so it's Carrie Hummingbird saw me, but my license says it and everything. They all look at me. They're like, your name is really Carrie Hummingbird? I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a cool story. I, uh, I always love it when they have a great story because they always, you're, it's clearly, <clears throat> if you have as weird a life I do, Clearly you do. So it's going to have a great origin story. So do you feel like that, that, uh, draw to like the, the warrior spirit? Cause that's how I get from, from hummingbirds. They come around my owl tree once a year. Cause, cause there's a peregrine in the area uh, yeah. and they will hassle the, the oh. hummingbirds. Oh yeah. Well, the, the peregrines won't mess with the humming, with the great horned owls. So the hummingbirds will come and sit in the uh, acacia tree with the humming, with the owls. And it's like the weirdest, like, like giant and tiny little, um, you know, odd, odd couple thing in the same tree where you have giant owls and, and tiny little hummingbirds, but the hummingbirds, the energy that, are like they're feisty they're they're they are. you know high strong and and really they never um, slow down i mean they, they sit there really still they're carrying swords and then they get going again yeah <laughs> you know? that's me i sit really still and then i go and i'm off in a world <laughs> and they're like all this stuff happens and then i go back and sit really still and and that's actually it's funny it's in my gene keys chart and it's in my human design I'm a two four, so I'm a hermit opportunist, you know. So I'm always like split personality between those two. It's like I'm either like out there mixing it up, or I'm like caved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another, another hummingbird, interesting hummingbird symbolism that's kind of related to the like the home <laughs> that you were, the experience of the home that you're talking about. It, I mentioned how. The ancient Mexico Mexican people had a, a version of Noah, uh, you know, with the names, it's kind of hard because the writers who were recording this stuff back then before a lot of it got swept under the rug or things too much was burned to <laughs> recall it. They, they maybe have spelled things in different ways, but this uh, deluge flood hero who preserved their civilization, they, they claim on a boat, Pate Cottle. Potacatl, maybe that's how you'd say it. Also, they call them Tezpi, Tezpi. And anyway, their their story of the deluge, instead of a dove being let out by the hero to see if there was land and the dove coming back with a, an olive leaf, as it's told in the Old Testament, it was a hummingbird that went out and came back with a, a small leaf. And that's I actually how, believe that more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is cool. That's way cool. Yeah, the um Aztec god of 
of war is, I, and I had to look up the word. I, I know it's witchul pot. See, I knew I'd fuck it up. Witchul potzel. Witzel potzel. I'm probably, I know I'm saying it wrong, but he's a, he's a hummingbird and he's the Aztec god of war. And they, the, uh, warriors would, would carry, uh, hummingbird feathers as like, as like jewel kind of, they would decorate their stuff with the spirit of hummingbird because of how feisty and strong mm-hmm. and, and relentless and speedy and, you know, all the, the power of, of that. That's why you always see like, Jaguars and, and hummingbirds and these things were revert revered because they lived with that nature. Right. It was real for them. They, those characteristics were real of what they, they were, you know, they were putting it on. They're like, still like, real. I mean, those are archetypal energies. Exactly. And when you go into a shamanic mystery school, like inner medicine training, you know, like, or like my, my people I studied with, the archetype of like Otorongo or Jaguar is hunting in the dark with you all the time through the shadow realms, like always finding and looking through things and seeing more clearly through the dark. It's a good ally, you know, and hummingbird is what helps us to actually um, pierce that veil so that we can realize we're multidimensional, we're timeless. It's that, imagination brain is the corpus callosum. It helps us to get into that upper room that Paul Selig talks about. The hummingbird is like all multidimensional, very creative, right? And and it's got faith and trust because it'll take that epic journey and not even know it can make it or not. But it always makes it. How does it make it? Because it it's it's listening all the time. It's following synchronicity. So those are like some of the primary animals. And the other one, of course, is serpent. Serpent's another primary animal, primary um, totem for shamanic work because the serpent is a kundalini energy, right? It helps you connect with Mother Earth and be very grounded and open up your your access to your awakening process. And the last one is eagle, eagle and condor, right? I mean, the, the great predatory birds of the sky that can fly higher than any other birds. But there is actually this myth about hummingbird that, you know, that condor said, uh, I'll, I'm going to race you, you know, to Inti. I'm going to race you to the sun. And Hummingbird said, okay, I'll meet you here tomorrow. Right. And so everybody was gathered around to watch, you know, this contest between Hummingbird and Condor, you know, and then we came to the time and Condor is like, well, I don't see Hummingbird anywhere around. So it just, well, I'm just going to fly there anyway. So it takes off, you know, <laughs> and what happens is like, you get close to the edge, Right. And then all of a sudden, Hummingbird pokes out of his feathers, condor feathers, and goes, and then just steals it, you know, (laughs) and wins. (laughs) So Hummingbird is super crafty, Mm -hmm. you know, very crafty, very, yeah, territorial. Um, You know, think about the resiliency of that little bird, you know, in order to survive such an epic journey, to take on such an epic journey. Come on, like this little tiny bird takes on that journey across an entire continent. Mm-hmm. Two continents, really, and it goes the whole distance. It's like, how does it even know it can do that? It's amazing. I love, I love the, uh, that. the Spanish and Italian. I think German, probably multiple languages beyond that. The name for a hummingbird is colibri. Yeah, colibri. Mm-hmm. And Gabe, the the first colony of the Pythagoreans. You know what they were called? Calabria is the Calabria. name of the. Calabria, Colibri, it's practically the same word. You brought up the Pythagoreans earlier. That's awesome. 
that, that also has like a bright faced Kara and Bria is like a very bright face. That's fun. That's super fun. You know, there's a there's a version of the I love the word condor over vulture, by the way. Like I always when I hear condor, I'm like, what is a condor? Oh, that's right. It's a vulture. Mm-hmm. But it's like the more graceful description because isn't it funny how condor is like I don't know, it's a more beautiful word. And the word vulture has this carnivorous I don't know uh connotation to it but uh the welsh have a version of that they have like kind of the same but with different birds uh they have a i think it's the wren and the raven is their version of the story where it's like a competition with the two birds and then the uh it's the wren who's like hiding out under his feathers and then at the very end when when the raven thinks he's won the wren breaks out and goes a little higher it kind of takes the trophy. That's so sweet. I love how it's transcontinental. You know, it's actually interesting that you said that you like the frequency of, of the word condor, because I want to attribute that to the honoring that South American people give to condor. And the condor is actually in the South American continent and the vulture is in the North America. So isn't that interesting too, Mm -hmm. that like it's the cousin of the condor, but like in North America, it's like a vulture, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's like considered a very dirty bird. You know, it's like they, they smell, I mean, I've actually um, found a, a dead vulture, right. That was just on the freeway and I was harvesting feathers, you know, to use for healing work. And I try let's just say that vultures are very difficult to harvest feathers from because they're stinky. Mm. They're stinky. They're actually, they're actually janitors. Yeah. They're nature's purifier. Yeah. They're nature. They're, they do a great service to nature. Mm-hmm. They clean yeah, they things have, up. Their poop is the most sterile thing in like ever. Yeah, you could wash your hands with it. That's why I want to. <laughs> they, they take the most dirty and like, yeah. you know, damaging, toxic, nauseous material of nature and turn it into pure, sterilized cleanliness. <laughs> they're see, amazing. Yeah, they're janitors. Our attitude toward the vulture, right? Because it smells, and because we're, you know, we don't like pheromones, and we don't like, you know, like things like that are dirty and messy and, you know, the stuff that happens when you live close to the land. Like we don't like that in Western culture. We want to be like sterilized away from that. But in South America, you know, they live close to the land and they really revere, you know, the condor and its majestic wingspan. It's the largest bird, you know, and, and it's beautiful the way it gracefully soars through the sky. And when it, when it comes, it's like a source, it's like a, like a sign, you know, that like you've got great power or that great power is coming to you. Like power has noticed you exist. Here's the condor as proof, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's see it as like a, a, a sign mm-hmm. and it's a big deal, you know, in South America with the condor. Nice. The, um, it's the, it's interesting that they're cousins. I always assumed they were the same with just two different words for. They look different, uh, actually. They do? They look very different. At least the ones I see here in Texas, they look very different than the condors I see in Peru. That's nice. Yeah, it's always good to, like, you know, give give gratitude for the for the spirit that is doing the job that you don't want. You know what I mean? Right. And it's also, it's revealing that it's the uh, Prometheus chained on the rocks being punished for giving fire to the to humanity. 
it's uh, it's a vulture that is eating out his liver. Specifically, it's his cleansing organ that the vulture is focused on. So it's just so fascinating that something that has all that whatever connotation, the end result is a purification and of recycling. It's a powerful ally. I mean, there was one time when I was maybe like a, a year or two into my shamanic path and I was doing a shamanic journey and I'd had, let's say I was trying to cleanse myself of some of the um, acrimony from my first marriage. <laughs> and I was having this journey and I called on Vulture to come down into my body and just start like purifying and eating the waste, right? Mm -hmm. Like just eat that waste because that is making me sick. You know, what's going on It's making me sick and I don't want to react to it anymore. And I don't want to engage with it anymore. I want to, I want to just kind of neutralize that. And so that I can show up with love and compassion instead of like being pulled into a reaction and some kind of fight. So I call on Vulture to clean me out of all of this toxic energy between me and my my father and my children. Just clean me out. And I remember feeling just so much energy moving and and even visualizing like visions coming of, of like multiple vultures just like eating my entrails, just like just de- just devouring me. Right. Which is the shamanic death, the devouring of self. And I was like grateful. I was like, please just eat it all, you know, like, cause I just want to be done with that part of my life. I want to close the book of fate and I want to open up the book of destiny. And so it helped me a lot. I mean, there was lots of things I did, but I remember specifically that meditation. It was very powerful with vulture. So it's a great ally, you know, to cleanse yourself of old toxic energies. So was it the animals that called you to the what? shamanic work? It was my ancestors, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I have Cherokee ancestry. It doesn't make itself readily apparent in my my visage. Um, I look more. Oh, no. A lot of the Cherokees were white, you know, even when the Europeans showed up here. That's part of the history that's been concealed is like it was already a whole bunch of different types of tribes. It wasn't all just people with copper colored skin. Well, they they always notice when I go see Cherokee people or, or Native people, they always go, "Oh, high cheekbones, Native." They always they always see that in me. Um, but you know, I don't know, regular people may not see it. But anyway, so I have Celtic and I have Cherokee, and so I really believe that my Cherokee ancestry is a fire people. They're people of fire. That they said, "Okay, the, the you, Cherokee might have even been Celts." <laughs> Just throwing they that might out have there. Been. They found uh, Ogham stones and all the way in, as far as Colorado, which is the uh, the ancient Irish Celtic language. Really ancient. That's fascinating. I want to know more about that. So, I mean, in terms of this, so the the lineage that I got pulled to that I started studying with was Alberto Vialdo's um, Four Winds Light Body School. That is the that's basis of that training is the Caro people in the Andes Mountains, and the Caro people Q Pasper E R O. They are fire people. So they, they work with fire. They're fire people. So there's different types of medicine people. There's water medicine people. There's fire medicine people. There's earth. There's air. And then there's some that work with all of it, but primarily focus on one. And so the Kara work with everything, but primarily focus on the fire. Um, the Hawaiians would be a good example of like, Fire and water, right? They work a lot with water energy. That's why it's very fluid. You know, how they move things is very much like water. Um, 
Yeah. And, and so I love, I think that's beautiful. I personally am called to the fire path. I like rapid transformation. Um, I really enjoy the fire as a, as an ally. And, um, so my ancestors led me synchronistically to another friend. Oh, that's why I wanted to dance around. That's awesome. Woohoo. Yeah. You feel in the energy. Um, yeah. Fire is just so fun and it's just, you know, it's passion. It's, you know, it's, um, and it, and it's, it's purifying. You know, I also lead fire walks and when people walk across the fire, I don't do it the way Tony Robbins says. I love him. He's very, he's his own energy, but I like to have the ritual. I'm all about ceremony and ritual. That's why we've been in this whole ceremony together this whole time. I like ceremony and ritual. So when I do a fire walk, I'm calling in just like I did for this. I'm calling it in. And then we're singing, we're chanting, we're dancing around the fire. Everybody's dancing and, and getting attuned to the fire, you know, and to the energy. And then when your body tells you to walk, you walk. And people don't just walk one time. We're like doing daisy. We're like going around and around and around. And we're just like, just like, it's so fun. It's amazing. And so, yeah, fire is my bag. I love fire so much. Yes. We need to talk more about firewalking, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, to me, that's one of those indicators, kind of like when people in martial arts can break crazy objects with their fist or their skull. Like, why? <laughs> you know, I always say, like, how come one person can break a cinder block with their forehead, whereas another person would break their forehead with a cinder block? <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's question. like evidence of chi or, or life force that can be directed to dif different parts of the body through attention and through intention. And that becomes like, a, you know, you have that energy in your fist. You can break the board. You have that energy, on you know, grounded into your feet and you're paying attention to your feet. You can walk across the coals. Can we speak about that? It's not something I've tried, but it sounds cool. Yeah, it's actually really fun. So. So there's multiple reasons for the firewalk. One primary easy reason is that people are afraid of putting bare feet on hot coals. So that's an excellent reason to go do it. <laughs> because if you're afraid of it, you want to counter your fear. And fire being like hurting you is one of the first agreements that every person gets when they're growing up. Because fires in the home, like the burner or something like that, and your parents, the first thing they teach you is fire hot, fire hot, because they don't want you to put your hand in the fire and burn yourself. So it's one of the first agreements we learn as human beings. So when you walk across the hot coals and you don't get burned, your feet, you know, first of all, you don't incinerate, you know, because I had visions before I walked the first time. I was like, I'm just going to spontaneously combust, you know, I was terrified, but I didn't. And not only that, but I, I maybe I got like a little kiss from the fire and that was it. It was no worse than wearing the wrong shoes dancing. I was like, are you kidding? All of a sudden that bust all of my other agreements about life. Mm. Like everything is suspect now. You know, like, <laughs> I don't think I believe any of it, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. So it really busts through the myths. Because everybody thinks they're going to, you know, their, their feet are going to get just really damaged or walk across mm. hot coals is going to be terrible. And then when spirit takes over and your body's aura takes over and whatever other reason you want to make for it, the mystery takes over and you walk across hot coals and you're fine. And not only walk once, but like a dozen times and you're okay. It kind of like goes, well, I guess whatever I thought was as true as I thought it was, you know, <laughs> and then you had a lot of fun. And the thing I love about it is another thing I love about it is that. 
I found out, I realized by self-experimentation that whenever I would walk across the fire and I did get kissed by the fire and I say kiss like a little, little fire blister, I would get one. I would look at my feet after and go, what's the reflexology of that? And so I would pull up my, my foot reflexology chart and then look up Chinese medicine and go, what does that organ do? And then I would go, oh, that's why, right? And so one time when I was just starting, I was walking across the fire and I kept getting in the same spot. And I was like, what is that spot? And it was solar plexus, right? And it was kidneys and it was like personal power and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, of course, I'm getting more fire to that area because I don't feel powerful. I feel scared about what I'm doing. You know, I'm leading all these people across the fire and I'm not really sure about it, right? I wasn't, it was my second time leading them. So I went to the acupuncturist or uh, naturopath, right? And she gave me the whole test. Like you have to answer like the 50,000 questions. And, and at the end of it, she said, well, you need kidney support in your solar plexus. And so I just took off my shoe and was like, the fire already told me that. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I was like, you can just walk across fire to figure out what you need. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. That is such a cool story. It was really fun. And and to answer the question that somebody just put in about manifesting generator. No, I'm a, I'm a straight up manifester. So um, I love the fire walk because it fills me up with energy because as a manifester, I don't have my own generator. You know, I'm a little envious of people that have generators, but the cool thing is I can get like amazing I'm stuff a, I'm an MG <laughs> generator. My husband has one too. Thank goodness. I need somebody with one, but like I, I can get so much done. Like it's amazing what I can do, but then I have to rest. So when I walk across fire, I fill up my tank. It's like, oh, good. Thank you so much. Fire gives me all this energy. And then I'm super high, kind of like I am, like, like I feel like I'm high, like super stoned off the fire and everybody's high. It, the octave goes like up. And by the time I, I'm like, make sure you guys are grounded um, because you're on another dimension. <laughs> you know, like you are not on earth right now. <laughs> So yeah, it's so much fun. I love fire walking. It's like the best thing. It's so much fun. I'm super into the whole reflexology analysis of where you get the kiss from the fire. That is such a cool diagnostic tool. It is. You know? <laughs> the fire shows you where you need to support your own energy. That is beautiful. I like to tell yeah. people that if they get uh, one of these great weighted tuning forks for my leans store, the biofield tuning store, the sonic slider. I love this thing. One of the ways you can use it is if you know that you have a particular challenge with a certain organ or area is on the bottom of your foot, get a reflexology chart, find where it corresponds to, you know, you need some opening in the solar plexus or some respiratory support or whatever. There's a specific point on your foot where you can send electricity and vibration coherent sound directly into your inner you know this is inner medicine you might be applying it to the bottom of your foot the soul but it's uh -huh. actually going to stimulate the internal same yeah. reason why qigong is such a fantastic modality is because it allows you to massage and and support and send energy and, and current to the internal you know areas that you can't really externally touch physically it's great i love that the responsible part of me is piping up inside me i just have to speak so please don't do this at home you know like there's actually <laughs> different woods have different densities and they burn hotter than other kinds of wood so you know, it's really kind of an art to tending a fire and making sure you have the right fire 
uh, the right wood in order to do a firewalk. It was like a very specific mm. process. Thanks and, for telling me that. I might have just gone yeah, outside please after the talk. Don't just like go burn <laughs> any wood because you really might that's burn the shit out of your foot. You know, so yeah. like Terry, that is such that's such good advice. <laughs> go to a professional. Like this is a case where you really do want to go with somebody who's yeah. trained how to do it because you know you you do want that safety, especially but kudos until, if you were brave enough to just set it up in your backyard. I mean, some people I'm sure do. And are fine somewhere. with it, but I just I don't want to be responsible for that. Just in case there's some major thing that happens, and I do have an LLC. Just in case anyone tries to sue me, <laughs> but like like seriously, go to go with somebody who's trained how to do it. You know, the first time or second time, learn how to do it yourself. You know, learn the right way, and and then you know that's one of those things you do want to learn how to do correctly. So, do you do these for groups? I do. Where where are yeah. you in Texas? I'm in Austin area. I live okay. north of Austin and I have a little spot called Lotus Bend Sanctuary that I love to do it at because it's a beautiful, beautiful space and we burn it right on the ground and we walk and it's, it's beautiful there. Yeah. Oh, cool. So do you, do you have like a calendar schedule that you do these periodically or? I have a website. People can check in an email list, but yeah, I'm getting ready to schedule the next one because I really feel like, um, I'm getting through the book launch, right? So the book is launching on Earth Day. Keep it weird. That's right. So I know Austin's got a little bit like tech lately. So it's a little bit like silicon. Keep it silicon. And I'm not, you know, I'd rather keep it weird. I like to keep it weird better. But um, yeah, I want to do one in May. So I've just been getting through like book launch period and and um, getting through the launch on Earth Day. And I'm starting to feel the fire. It's like, oh, we have to do it before summer because it gets so hot in Texas. You can't do it during the summer here. It's too hot. My poor husband would pass out in the fire. He, he's a fire tender. He would like, it can't be too hot like that. So we got to do while well, it's cool, kind of moderate temperatures. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a, a wonderful thing. I do it a couple times in the spring and a couple times in the fall and always on New Year's Eve. So if you really want to do it, you know, New Year's Eve is super fun. See, I live in, in Austin's sister city, Tucson. Oh, cool. And so, well, outside of it. But I mean, if you want to just firewalk, it, you know, July out on the asphalt is pretty <laughs> good too. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, um, though we were talking about the Hawaiian shamans, um, their version of fire walking is walking across the hot lava. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that would be for real, right? That Man. is some stuff. And that was talked about. It'd be like, hard for me because I have like traumatic memories of some, I don't know, maybe it was called like volcano or there was some movie about a volcano erupting in, I don't know, maybe LA. And I just have this, I was a young child and I saw this scene where, Someone tried like tried to walk through the lava because they had to, or they were saving somebody else, and they just like melted slowly down to you know their feet were nubs, and I was like, no, lava is so scary, it like really imprinted on me. So that's apparently they're that able is. to walk across it. You know, um, there was a case in like, eighteen something where a researcher went out there like to figure out what the heck are they doing out here, and the shaman, you know, the shamans got close to. They had to wait to get close to the lava because you know it was hot. You had to wait to get close enough to it and then at some point it was time and the first shaman walked across <laughs> and then the guy's like documenting it you know thinks he's mm -hmm. just gonna like watch and then they're like no you're going across he's like what and then they pushed him and he walked across the hot lava with his boots on by the time he got to the other side his his boots were gone 
and his socks were gone <laughs> and all that was left was his feet and his feet were fine. <laughs> so that's just so weird, wow. right? And so that's, you know, the reason that it's, it's such an amazing thing to do is it's one of those experiences of the divine. Like whatever you think is true might not be true in a sacred setting. You know, like you were talking, one of you guys was talking about this earlier. It's like, I think it was you, Gordy, we peel back the layer and you're like looking mm-hmm. through life in like just a slightly different lens. Whereas if you just went in with your beta brain and like your like monkey mind and, and went in to do something, it might not work out the same way as if you're in sacred space and you're kind of like in a different vibratory pattern and a different brain is active and you're connected in, in a different way. And now you go do the same thing and a completely different thing happens. It's like way more beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a perfect example of why people want to wake up right now because you know, right. life is better, you know, mm-hmm. more graceful. You we earlier the topic was brought up of you know healing some of the divides that were artificially accepted by humanity. We never left the garden. <laughs> we don't need to return to nature. We literally can't exist without nature. We are nature. I mean, we could get more in alignment with it and make our lives less painful, unnecessarily painful. But the whole, I think, one of the biggest jives or cons that was ever put on humanity in a religious way was this separation of spirit and matter that you know the body is dirty and low and the, the earth is uh ruled by satan and your reward is on a mystical other plane on the other side and spirit and heaven are separate from matter you know and yeah like the heavens in terms of the sky that is metaphysical it's beyond the physical it's up there but the my my understanding lately that I've been sharing with folks is that I think we're in the spirit world right now. <laughs> I don't we think there's are. anything but the spirit <laughs> world. Everything is spirit. Everything is animated by this prana, life force, energy, you know, and imagination and creative intelligence of God and or nature. So if that's the case, then if everything is spirit, then wouldn't the things that are physical and material and dense be condensed spirit and thus in a way be like more spirit <laughs> like a lot of spirit <laughs> think 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 why the metals have so many amazing properties and are so esoterically significant in alchemy and things like that or or crystals you know they're they're very solid but they're very spirit <laughs> and i think our bodies are like that as well and if we can delete this uh un, untrue presumption that there's a separation between our spirit and our body. I look at it like a seed, the spirit is the seed and the body is the tree. When a tree grows from a seed, where did the seed go? It is the tree. <laughs> you know, that's what I think these, these bodies are, these vessels are. So, you know, that you could see a guy, well, not that you saw it, but there's the story of a guy, his shoes melt off, but his feet are still there and intact and, and whole. Mm-hmm. Those feet are not just some weird inert, you know, uh, insignificant, dirty, low or base, just material that is condensed spirit. That's why every single cell in the body has intelligence. And depending on what it might signal to you, it's actually telling you about you because that's your spirit. Your body is that. that yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm not the expert on this, but my friend Jennifer Huff is a physicist and, and she said that they finally solved the the um, equation that Einstein was trying to solve. 
And the answer was the universe is at the center of every single one of our 75 trillion cells. <laughs> like it's at the center of the cell. So therefore you can never be separate from divinity because divinity is you. Like you're the created by is it. Everywhere? Every single cell at the center of the cell is the universe. So you have 75 trillion cells all operating with the center of the universe at this, in the middle of them operating it. So therefore anything that exists in the universe exists within 75 trillion cells of you. Therefore, like love is a vibration that exists in the universe, right? So if you want to feel love, wouldn't you just be able to like access the 75 trillion cells that exist inside your body and instruct them to call forth love or clarity or anything that's in the universe that you want to call forth? You can call forth through the portal of your existence at the center of every single one of your cells. Like it's not that hard. It's not out there. You don't have to like go get it. It's like right inside. And you gotta ask for it. Yeah. And when you open up access, like we open sacred space, the only thing I think we have to do is like invite it because it's all happening anyway. Like it's happening. Like there's a lot of people on the planet who really are resisting this, right? Like they're like, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't want to feel my feelings. I like, I like it the way it was. I want to go back to the old normal. I don't want to, you know, there's a bunch of people like that. But it doesn't really matter what they're saying because the whole thing is doing it anyway. Like we are in the river of life. The river of life is taking humanity to the next place, whether we want it or not. And so if you want to feel less pain and suffering, you have to like admit it and say, yes, I, I accept this I'm and invite it. So that's why I like opening sacred space because I'm like, I'm telling the universe, I, yes. Okay. I surrender. Yes. Yes. Bring it. Bring my help bring me help every day. And then because the universe is so respectful of our conscious choice, like yes, no, it, it opens up. It says, okay, you want it today. Great. I'll open it up for you. And when I have students um, that get started with the, you know, the mystery schools that I teach, I run the experiment. I say, okay, like start opening sacred space every day. And if you forget a day, that's okay. Just notice how your day went. And they always report back. The day I forgot was really hard. Like things didn't, they went wrong. They got all messed up. I was anxious. I was stuck. I was like, you know, and so whatever way you guys have, you know, anybody has for like welcoming in your soul, like whatever that is, meditation or anything, that day is going to go better when you say yes to connection, when you say yes to the oneness, when you say yes to help, when you say yes, it's going to go easier than if you're trying to like, mental it and figure it out and like control it and be separate. If you're separate, it's going to be hard. I love it. Yeah. That's one of the the great parts about doing work with clients in energy work that it gives me multiple times a week where I'm asking <laughs> for it. <laughs> Let yeah. me, please make me the instrument of the higher force. I would like that to come through me and operate this whole procedure while I just sort of flow with it. You know, that is a, a huge blessing to have yeah, a extra I, reason to do that. It's a really good perk at the job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I had like eight sessions yesterday, like little 30 minute sessions. I just, and, and like I was every 30 minutes, I'm opening up the next sacred space and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm just flown by the end of the day. I was like almost like so high. I was like, I don't know how to walk today. <laughs> like, I'm so freaking happy and ascended right now. I mean, <laughs> man, 
yeah, I feel like I'm on drugs, but I'm not, you know, I'm just high on life. Like literally life force is moving through me and I'm high on life force. Wow. Is it it ever exhausting? Do you find it tiring? I used to, but I didn't, I was only when I thought I was doing it. So when I thought I was doing the healings and I was taking credit, yeah, yeah, I would get tired because uh-huh. I'd be wiping my own energy out. You're pushing, yeah, right. Yeah. Very and true. Now I know it's not me. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it is me because we're all connected, but you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Carrie, it's not personality Carrie. And so I just go into the hollow bone and I open up to the allness, right? And I open up to the other person's part of the allness. And then I'm just holding space for it to happen. And, and I'm listening and I'm just doing whatever comes next and then call. And then usually we call forth, you know, rainbow light. And then that comes in and I'm just like receiving it too. I say, yes, please. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just sit there with the client and because I, I, because I've worked on these empathy skills, I'm able to kind of like, I don't know, like almost like layer myself over the person's body. And so I can feel what they're feeling. And so I can feel when it's coming through and when it's not. And, and so that's why I'm really glad that I stopped listening to psychotherapy <laughs> because I needed tools. Like I needed to learn how to manage this, um, this empathy muscle, you know, so that I could actually mm-hmm. use it for healings. And it's really powerful. You know, it's mm-hmm. like amazing. I can overlay myself on somebody and feel everything they're feeling. And then I'm feeling it and I'm like, kind of like a, like an energy connoisseur, like, Ooh, that tastes a little bit like judgment. Um, I'm, mm. I'm tasting a little hint of guilt over here. You know, I feel some stuck area right over here, you know, and it feels a little bit like anger, you know, so I can like sample taste the feelings. Right. And they'll go, Oh my God, that's exactly what it is. Or yeah, I'm so angry about this. And they wouldn't even know what they wanted to work on, you know, at the beginning, but, but I'm just feeling it. So I'm just telling them what I feel, you know, cause I don't, I'm not taking those not feeling pills anymore. I'm like, no, double up on feeling. Like I want to, this is the best job ever. Like I totally want to feel it all, you know? I love that metaphor. That's such a good metaphor. The emotion is it's flavor. It's smell. It's like, it's so ethereal that that's the best metaphor to attach to it. I love it. Yeah. Cause I was a wine connoisseur for a long time. And so oh, now I'm- heck- now I'm an energy connoisseur. Yes, that's beautiful. So I had no idea you were coming on today, Carrie. And every Wednesday, I'm blown away how synchronous our weave becomes to where I already had my mind because I'm off in outer space and la la land. But I just wanted to prove it now for the record live on the air. My next, my, my next little project is absolutely focused on the elements. And, yeah. And um, it's a kind of a long story, but uh, I'll, I'll try to be really quick about it. Um, there are nine sacred jitsus in the practice of ninjutsu. But you don't learn those on the first day. You learn how to uh, honor the elements. And so I've been kind of dusting off my old ninjutsu training, which is very, very surface level and uh, learning that being mastering the elements is the foundation. And then once you get into really advanced levels, there are like nine badass and they're all hand mudra jitsus. And they're like, you know, there's all the people kind of stuff. It's really cool stuff. Um, 
but it fits in with this project with the Enneagram that the guys have heard me talk about for months now. They're probably sick of hearing about the Enneagram. But my next little presentation is bringing forward all the different combinations of the elements through the Enneagram. And I think that they match up with the ninjutsu thing all the way over in Japan, you know, it's very far Eastern. Um, but I'm just, I have to, I want to put it on the record that that was already on my mind. And here you are bringing us into the ceremonial sacred space, calling in the elements. And so here, I just want everybody to see, like, that's exactly where I'm going on my little slick dissident project. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's just fascinating how like I get caught up in all the hullabaloo and all the symbol symbolism and it gets really advanced and crazy. But then I kind of take a step back like the like the hawk, you know, mm -hmm. and see like from a much further away perspective. And I realize that there's like something more simple going on. So I just wanted to put that on the record. My next video is probably gonna have a little shout out to you, Carrie. Thank you for opening oh, our ceremonial space tonight yeah oh i'm grateful i'm grateful that it, that you you know feel in alignment with the space and that the space called you forward even before we got here which is why i love synchronicity because you realize it's all connected and we're all talking to each other all the time even if we're not in the same room and we never met we're somehow like i agreed to come on this thing and this podcast with with chance and i i even asked him to i was hey can you help me share my book and i come on here and it's like we already decided we were going to do this, mm -hmm. you know. Like we were already been talking about it. That's Man, close, cool. I think we're we're synchronicity farmers. Mm -hmm. Our group over here, mm -hmm. ranchers. Me too. It's more like a ranch. Yeah, ranchers. The <laughs> working ranch. You have to. That's it. You have, That's to, it. You have to manipulate like, things. Uh, you know, have shop. to whip them sometimes to get them to to do what you need to, but. Yeah, man, you can't believe the the uh, synchronicities that are all, already happened. Like this is this is the craziest thing because I didn't know we were doing this today. Chance asked me to if I would come on, but I didn't know who I was coming on with. You know, it's usually Gabe, so you know, it's vibrant. We're we're gonna weave. It's you know, it's gonna be fun. But then I'm already on the hummingbird thing. My friend Eric Badby, who called me at six o'clock last night, and I okay, and I missed his call. Because there's an owl hooting at me uh, from my porch, right? You mean you already you were already on a call, right? Yeah, exactly. I was I was still I was already talking. Yes, so I'm chit chatting with the 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 owl, and I'm trying to get my wife's attention. She's I can't get her attention. Then I realized Eric called me, and it was him leaving a, him leaving a voicemail. Um. Hey man, I'm looking at this owl and his, his, his daughter leaving a voicemail, you know, how cute we just saw an owl, you know? And cause I mean, if you haven't seen these, I have two babies right now, Raphael and Uriel. And, um, so everything is, is owl with it. I mean, it's always owl with me, but these are the synchronicities. He has a hummingbird. Owl uh, building building on his his porch right now. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, yeah, and you should know that. Like, as I kind of hinted at it earlier, but owl is one of my medicine um, birds that I work mm -hmm. with. 
So mm-hmm. one of my primary medicine birds that likes to work with the divine feminine energies when I do clearings. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and if I don't use Al for a while, Al gets a little bit spiteful, kind of like, hey, you're forgetting about me because I got my condor. I'm using condor right now and Al got really jealous, you know? Mm, interesting. <laughs> And I was like, okay, um, I promise I'll, uh, I will not just pick up Condor every single time. So, yeah. Yeah, I always keep a, keep a, one of my baby owl feathers in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And owl gifted itself. You know, that's the thing is mm-hmm. I didn't like go out and kill any owl or anything. Owl gifted itself. It was on the freeway going mm-hmm. to a, a meeting and there it was in the middle of the freeway. So I picked it up and. I took those, you know, the feathers for healing work because it's really powerful medicine. This is why I get upset. Some, I mean, I understand why the rules are there, but also, you know, there's medicine work, you know, and medicine, and these animals, they are, they're here for medicine work. Some of them, you know, the ones that gift themselves like that, they show up in the, like on your direct path and they just got hit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, bam, right there. Fr- it just happened. It's there for you as, as a medicine mm-hmm. person. It's there for the medicine person to work with. So. Yeah, thank you for saying that because that just happened with me with an owl, and I I I was struggling with that at first. Like I'm like, because I was kind of asking, not asking spirit, but like questioning, like how would one be blessed with an owl wing? You know, like how would I even ask source for something like that? Like you just don't. No, I and, don't either. I don't ask just, for that. I don't want to harm any animals. So. Yeah. And just as I did that, it shows up like the next day it happened. Yeah. Because I was like, yes. Yeah. And it was, it's a whole story. I'm still processing Mm -hmm. because it was just one of those powerful things. Like, see, you're starting to question yourself again. That magic isn't real. Like magic is for real. Like how many hours does it take? Owl is clearly your medicine. You know, it's clearly your medicine. And I just want to say for everybody else, it's like, again, with the fire walking stuff, like, you know, kind of let nature share with you, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't really agree with hunting. I mean, I'm just that person. Everybody can have their own perspective on it, but I really feel like nature will give you what, what is necessary for your path. And so if that means, you know, you, Gordy, with your owl all over the place in your life and owl is clearly your ally and, and then all of a sudden there's just an owl, it's just giving itself to you. Mm-hmm. And it's giving your, itself to you in a sacred way. It's saying, hi, we heard you. And yeah, you know, like, so I would hold it all with extreme reverence and mm-hmm. really a ton of honor. And, and use it and not just like a mantelpiece, you know, but like actual, like how, how does owl want me to serve owl medicine mm-hmm. to other people? Yeah. yeah of course not. You need to have uh, Gordian soul nectar to talk about his whole owl journey. It's- I would love to hear about that. I already heard, I heard a little taste. of it. Amazing transformational tale very very awesome inspiration i wanted to share something that logan put into our telegram chat it's not very long but he just shot this uh with his scope this is the star sirius so this is what stars look like (laughs) if you have your own telescope in your own camera check this out this is sirius 
serious business, y'all. Ow. So, uh, StreamYard automatically mutes us while this is up. So, if you want to talk, you have to unmute yourself. But check that out. (laughs) That sure does not resemble what we're told stars are. (laughs) It looks like a cymatic pattern. Rainbow oscillation. So amazing. I see approximately nine sides. (laughs) Yeah. I'm muted. You know what? I've seen. I see seven. I see seven sides. Maybe eight. Wow. Maybe it's shifting a little bit. (laughs) Dancing back and forth, right? Yeah, it's like I was talking about the moon. And, you know, you look up close, it's, it really dances. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Logan, you're doing awesome work with your scope. That is incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, that'll, that ought to be enough to challenge people's uh, cosmology as presented by scientific materialism, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same as your NASA CGI stars. Really cool. Thank you, Logan. But yeah, we're going to move towards the wrap up. Carrie, I know we were supposed to talk about your book and we talked about a lot of things that were in your book, but please take as long as you'd like to describe, you know, this inner medicine and the journey that that book takes you on and the, uh, the release and all of that. Yeah. So, well, I'll just say that we've been having an experience of sacred space and the medicine wheel right here on this call, you know, so pretty cool. And, you know, you can kind of feel the, um, the trance state and the, the different, um, reality that it creates. And that's what happens in the medicine wheel. So the, the inner medicine book is structured around the medicine wheel. It's structured around the four directions and, the south, the west, and north, and the east, and it's structured around the spiral. So it's talking about shadow work. It's talking about the smoky mirror from the Toltec wisdom. Um, pretty much it just pulled from all the different areas that I've been studying and created um, a narrative that's actually was a living narrative. So in a way, um, it started off with an intention to write about inner medicine. I got the title. I always get the title for my books right up front, inner medicine, becoming one with mother earth for the survival of humanity. And I double checked it like three times. I'm like, that's kind of like a dun, dun, dun moment. Like, you know, like, but that was the title. So I was like, okay, well that's the title. Okay. So I start writing and I know the basic structure is going to be the four directions. And then life just leads me into the mystery about what needs to go in every section. And so there's some obvious stuff, you know, like there's certain animal allies like serpent in the south. It's just obvious jaguar in the west. But beyond that, there was a whole lot of topics that came up. I didn't even know I was going to talk about necessarily. And then all of a sudden I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, that goes in here. Of course it does. That's part of what I teach, you know, and I do the actual program. So it was really cool because I got a chance to have my own experience and then share that experience through some story, but then also flip into like the teaching mode, you know, and then say, well, this is what this is actually about. So every single section has a little story at the beginning that brings you right with me along the way. And then it has like explanatory, you know, material. So I think it's a good structure. I really enjoyed it. It was really fun to write. It was fun to experience. I got lots of personal healing from writing it. And like most of my books, it's got frequency work. So if you read it or you listen to it, I'm going 
going to be doing an audible, but if you read it or listen to it, you're going to get the frequency work, you know, and the revelations. It's going to just happen as a course of like ingesting the book. So, and digesting it, you know, ingesting and digesting. So yeah, it's cool stuff. It's fun. Yeah. I want, I'll just expand on what you were talking about frequency work. I think how I would comprehend that is a lot of times when I'm working with clients, I, I will explain in a even kind of a technical way what it is I'm doing in the energy field. And it's not really even so much for them and their ego mind to hear that. They might not even fully understand what I meant, but when you, your body is observing everything that you observe too. And it has its own innate intelligence. It's way more easily connected to the all knowing aspect of the cosmos or the Akashic or however you might want to describe that. So, you know, taking people on the journey that you went on and the insights that you had, even if they don't consciously receive the insight in the same way that you did, they're still getting the medicine in the form of like their body is understanding it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's healing exactly. in that. That's actually true. That's one of the things I say, I've been thinking about like entertainment culture that is interesting with all the consumption of media and Netflix shows and movies and video games and all this stuff that there may be, you know, there's plenty of downsides to that distraction culture. Right. But there may also be a, uh, like, processing of long-standing ancestral oh, totally. through going into these myriad of heroes journeys that are accessible to us through our forms of entertainment. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a story that brings you on that healing story. Somebody else's story can like resonate with you because you also have some ancestral connection to that story or some lived connection to that story. And so the telling of stories is how humanity exists. We're storytellers. We're always around the campfire telling our stories. And that's the primary way that we learn is through storytelling. And when it's intentional storytelling, that's the best kind, I think, because then it's enriching. It doesn't like suck your energy out or make you feel tired. It like gives to you and it helps you like replenish and, and feel nurtured and, and feel like edified. You know, it's, it's beautiful. So that's what this book does. And it's a ceremony. It's, it's a ceremony from start to finish, just like a plant medicine ceremony. That's why mm-hmm. I mentioned with it is that people would be under the influence of the, uh, you know, the sacred space while they're reading the book. So are you going to do an audible? You're going to do an audible version with, mm-hmm. with like, um, production and, and frequencies. Oh, it'll just happen through my voice, you know, so the healing happens through the voice and the more the voice is connected with the heart, the more the voice is connected with the soul. And then the more the medicine comes through when you speak. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it is important for me to record the audible and please get the pre-order PDF if you want it, because it might be a little while before I record that article. And then you can listen to it, you know, and, and get a whole different experience from listening to it than reading it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that too. So if you do do that, please reach out to me and tell me what the difference was you know, as an end user experience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool, I love doing these books and I love uh, because all of my books are based in the mystery And it's just, it's so amazing. I'm also delighted by it. It doesn't feel like drudgery. It feels like really, really fascinating, like awe and wonder and like, wow, I, 
I didn't even know that was part of this book. It feels like that, you know, and that's, that's exciting for me as the author and the creator of it. So yeah, I love it. So what's the website? Um, it's carriehummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com forward slash inner medicine is the landing page for that book. Inner medicine, all one word. And there's a lot more going on on that website too. What are some of the other things Tons. people can connect to, to you through? Yeah. So we're, I, I'm getting creative with my launch. And so I said, Hey, uh, I'm going to do a contest, <laughs> you know? So if you, if you want a signed copy of the book, I've got advanced copies and you can send me a uh, Venmo or PayPal for that. And you'll get entered in the, in the like contest. And you, when you get the book, just take a picture like on, on social, like, hi, I got my book and tag it or medicine and I'll find it. And then you, you get like, <laughs> thanks. You get in, you get uh, entered into the drawing, you know, for the three, three, three that I'm going to do like training, you know, three, three, three and training for whoever wins. Yeah. Cause I just want to create fun. You know, I want to gamify it if I can and just make some fun. I'm all about funning. <laughs> funning. But then you also have a podcast, right? I do. I have a podcast, Soul Nectar Show. And uh, that website is soul, S-O-U-L, Nectar, because I'm a hummingbird, dot show. And that's and I ch- interview Chance. It's actually coming out this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this coming Sunday is going to come out. So um, you get to hear Chance on my podcast and the conversation we have over there. My third time. Third. Third. Great third time because chance is popular on my podcast and you actually are always in the top running you know i do like these monthly like top episodes kind of thing just for fun i like to gamify things and and chance like shows up so so often in those top 10 yeah because he's he's like he pulls at people's brains you know at, like, yeah he does here. yeah he does both of these <laughs> guys this is why we keep showing up is because both these guys like i don't think that way so i'm like oh man <laughs> Okay, so we're well, thank we you for will all have the flatter. To, I feel great now. <laughs> we'll have to share. Like I am so into these sharing the stories too. Um, you you were talking about uh, coming off of meds and and mm-hmm. those kind of things and recovery from 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 that kind of stuff. We'll have to exchange this. I wanted. I was when I was in rehab. I was trying to get them to do a fire pit. They were like, ah, somebody, you know, they were nervous about, about insurance, and all that stuff. And, but they, anyway, that's not. That's one of those leaps of faith. Yeah. Right. It's all going to be fine. You have to actually attend a firewalk to realize that. Um, but yeah, I actually, I actually have a um, rehab center that's um, working with me, an addiction center. Right. Yeah. And, and they, they came out to check out the firewalk and it's like, it's like, great. It's great. And, and he was like, whoa, this is transformational. I said, imagine how transformational this would be for people having addiction because Uh we're going to, the thing with addiction is that I I went through my own kind of addiction. I went through like love and sex addiction. And so underneath all addictions is the addiction to love. Every addiction at the bottom is the addiction to love. And so if you, why don't just go back to I'm addicted to love. Exactly. (laughs) And, and so when you face that addiction and you, and you kind of like heal that space inside that feels empty or longing or that, that can never be filled, right? That empty hole inside that you're looking to fill it by 
by using substances or anything else, right? But you heal underneath to the love addiction. It, it, you don't need it anymore. It's like, you can take it or leave it. It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, that's nice. You know, I'll, I can't, it's a preference now. It's like, oh, can I have a glass of wine? Oh, I can't. Okay, whatever. That's fine. I'll go have some tea. I don't care. You know, and, and that's where I want people to get. I don't want people to be coping the rest of their lives. Like that is so mm-hmm. hard. Why have to cope? Why not liberate, you know, and really get to the root of it and shift it? Beautiful. I love it. So or do you I want to, to uh, do you want to see us out tonight with uh, some throat singing? Oh, I had someone, I had some oh, locked and loaded, buddy. You got it, buddy. You got I want to, cl- yeah, I want to close the ceremony. Like, you okay. know, yeah. Cause like uh, much like chance was talking about how, you know, film and the escapism is, uh, can be serving a higher purpose that we're not consciously, you know, uh, Yay. yes, much love JLo. Um, one thing that I think of, and we've talked on in our, uh, you know, marvelous demystifiers is like how, uh, watching a series is kind of the new fad over the past couple decades. Everything is, you know, you binge watch a series and then you get to the end of the episode and it leaves you hanging and there's no closure. And then you go to, then you go to sleep with a sense of no closure. And one of the beautiful things about ritual and ceremony is bringing it to a closure, to a resolution and to an end. And that is something that I forgot about for a long time in my, in my martial arts practice. When we come out of the game, we always ground. We always go back to the foot of the beaten bow and we give thanks to the mother and we say, and we leave it all in the hoda and you walk out clean. You leave it all behind you and you walk out clean. And so, and much, and much like you opened us with a beautiful prayer, I would love to read a poem that I wrote quite a long time ago and it has everything to do with feathers. Mm. Oh, you're in for a treat now. I'm excited. Yeah. This guy has got some serious poetical prowess. All right. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you so much. Wonderful wisdom you just shared about closing too. I needed to hear that. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So this poem was inspired when I realized that the prophecy of the eagle fighting with the serpent was fulfilled when the pilgrims were looking for the land to establish that became Mexico City. They were looking for the eagle fighting the serpent. And when they found the eagle fighting the serpent, they knew that this was the promised land. And the prophecy was fulfilled by that. And it was hundreds of years later, after that prophecy was fulfilled, that there was an echo of that prophecy yet again. And that was fulfilled when the eagle, which is the feather, the plume, the pen, it fights the serpent, and that is literacy. The serpent is the cursive trail of the writing of the story of the legacy that we consume when we read our stories in our books and then we regurgitate them to the to the children to tell them where they came from where their placenta is what was going on what what was in the heavens on the day that they were born you know and so when i realized that that eagle and the serpent prophecy will be fulfilled many times over and over uh and that literacy is in fact 
uh, encapsulates that treasure. That's what inspired me to write this poem. And the name of the poem is How. As in how. How exactly still one's address today serves as culturally appropriate head of household's headdress can be made quite poignant and clear. Consider, if you will, the countless past feathers which served as stylists and quills, each spent with great effort into faded utility by many founding forefathers, hidden hands of renown. They drafted a vision of the elders, foretold many-plumed serpent, inked with dark blood of seagull, and formulated with lead, fashioned upon sheepskin. In the name of Columbia, Urbana, and Hope's Dove, those men of forwardness all but devoured the carrier pigeon. Thus lying the foundation of yesteryear's telltale Oros Boros circuit, today remembered as the Pony X Press. The current civic domicile number provides nom de guerre redress, like the ceremonial headdress of old. Should some forgotten, exiled, Hexos King return, finding ray of sun reason to don the wig of recognition. Strict observance to ritual is still required to address the council of the high court. Where previously the use of headdress regalia with regionally symbolic birds of a feather display could signify the tri tribal origin and status of its wearer from the crest of some distant hilltop. The address today grants its receiver even greater enhanced farsight. By Napoleonic urban design, the address conveys precisely what neighborhood the message was pinned from while with color-coded postage, it designates its own hopeful designation. Wow. Very deep. I need to read it. And send it over. <laughs> I'll post a shot in the tally for everybody. Yeah, I, I wanted you to meet Gordy and have him on, but Gabriel could also give you a, a great Soul Nectar show, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. He has some amazing life experiences and beautiful, beautiful mm -hmm. stuff there, dude. Thank you. Can tell. Thank you, Gabe. You're very welcome. I love all of you.
Carrie, thank you. Chance, thank you. Love all of you. Thank you. Carrie, thanks for visiting with us tonight. Thanks everybody for being here in the stream. And we will close the proceedings. <laughs> right. Really did need to hear that, Gabe. I'm going to be considering closings as often as openings going forward. I think that's going to be helpful. Yeah, so, yeah, and we'll see everybody on Sunday for another great show. CarrieHummingbird.com slash Intermedicine for her new book. you have anything you want to say to the people before we go? Oh, I just am so grateful for everyone participating, engaging, sharing your feedback, your comments, your hearts, your presence, and being with us in sacred ceremony. And I want to thank all the guides that, that have been with us. And of course, the four directions, Southwest, North and East and Mother Earth and Father Sky and all the allies we called in and all the ancestors. Thank you so much for what a beautiful life. Aho. Aho. Aho.